За окном война, ты спросишь, или тяжело? Отвечу, ну да. А ты как-то держись, моя любимая страна. Мы обязательно встретимся возле большого костра. Слово Украине, слово They're ordinary people that didn't ask to go through this, but they're stepping up in a major way. Non-stop amazing patriotism and rallying to take care of each other. You see here in Ukraine, it's unbelievable. The rise of autocracy is, is the end of us. It's the end of us all over again. These are all the conditions that created World War II. They already changed forever. They are kids of war. They will remember for the end of their life. Only the people who went through this occupation will understand the feeling. No electricity, no water, no food, no money, but the main thing, no Russian. <laughs> We don't care all the rest as soon as there's no Russian. You're listening to JD Off Leash inside Ukraine. I'm trying to get that to my, one, my favorite know. one. Yes, this is my jam. Okay, I'll just mute my phone. I need the same. That is such a such a chill out buddy it's such a vibe song yeah but do you know like the lyrics have you ever read oh, i have no idea what he's saying no there's actually a lot of ukrainian songs that i need to go back and translate and find out what they mean because i'm always jamming to them listening to them and i have no idea what they're saying yeah and he's saying like i will find my home even with closed eyes because whenever i am i will always uh, I remember my home and I will never forget it, you know, so it's like... See, I knew that yeah. song was a vibe. Yeah, pretty strong lyrics, especially yeah, yeah. for those people who left Ukraine, you know, I think, yeah, it's like kind of touching and emotional. Yeah, yeah. And me listening, like, I remember when I used to be in Poland, you know, and I was listening to this song and, you know, like I was always having the tears coming out from my, you know, eyes. So tell me, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for asking. Uh, now that we finally have a generator, so I can do this even when the power's knocked out, like right now. So I'm good. That's good. How was your day? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you see, I'm uh, Are you turning this around on me now? <laughs> uh, my day was fantastic. Thank you. Uh, I woke up and didn't have power to make coffee, but I was able to go somewhere and get some espresso. So that was nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find coffee? I had coffee? power for a little while, then not power again. Typical uh, day in Kiev. It's something we got used to yeah. already. All right, well, let's go all the way back. You were in Kiev now, but you did not grow up in Kiev. So talk yeah. about growing up in a much smaller town yeah. in Ukraine. What's life like in, in I'm going to mess it up, Radaliviv? <laughs> See, I know it. Radaliviv. Yeah, that. It's a little bit that complicated one, too. Rada Lviv. Rada Lviv. Oh, wow, yeah. 
I'll practice for a little while. But anyhow, talk about uh, talking about going. So I grew up in a small city, right, which called Zurdevelev. It's located in the west part of Ukraine. So nothing special, you know, just a small regular city. Mm, you know, it's not a big population. Back then, it was around like maybe 20,000 people living there. So we actually knew each other like... Uh, you know so yeah i think that was like a pretty safe place to um to live as a child especially because you know my parents they could let me go for a walk with my friends like uh, here and there and i don't think that would happen if i were living in kiev mm -hmm. you know and then i don't know how the school system works here do you go like for us we go through elementary school then we call it junior high school and then high school and you graduate when you're 18 typically and that's when you go to college if you go to college or university mm -hmm. you would call it here do you guys go through a high school up until 18 years old or is it different here it's a little bit different i think the perception of high school that you're having it's missing over here so we have elementary school which is uh, from first to fourth grade then it's like a kind of high school i would say and that's it and you graduate on um, 11th grade is it okay. right to say uh that would be the correct way to say it for us we graduate after 12th grade yeah we but graduate yeah. after 11th grade okay. and uh, let's say like when i what's the typical age that you finish 17 okay 16 17 yeah somewhere in the age or maybe like 16 17 or 18 because it depends what age you went to school usually children they go when they turn seven but i went to school when i was six and i have some friends of mine who went to school when they were five so yeah there is no limitation when you can go to school, just the parents, they do decide when you go to school. So, yeah, I went when I was six and I graduated at 17. Okay. Yeah. And then university? And yeah, and after school, we go to university. So basically, we have two choices, right? When you are, um, when you graduate in ninth, like after ninth grade, you can go to college or you can stay. And after 11th grade, you go straight to university. Um, that's it. And then you study at university. I was studying there for four years. Yeah. And after that, you, you're willing to do whatever yeah, yeah. you want. <laughs> So what year were you born? 1996. Okay, so well after the USSR had already dissolved. So when you were born, Ukraine was already an independent country. Yes. Did your parents, grandparents talk much to you when you were growing up about life in the Soviet era, like what it was like? Or was that something they just kind of were happy that their kids were born in a better place and let you live in that free place? Yeah, Um Actually, we haven't talked much about it, you know, but sometimes when I'm like when we are having like film family dinners or something or relatives coming over. So, yeah, sometimes I hear they are talking about USSR, but it's not very pleasant memories. You know, it's nothing like, oh, my God, it was so good there. No, it's nothing like that. It's like I don't um, think anyone outside of Russia has ever said those words about the USSR. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I remember like uh 
actually, you know, like the other day I had this conversation with my colleague from work and we were talking about Holodomor. It's like a big hunger. I don't know, like, because I was trying to Google it, how you translate, how to translate it into English. And it was just translating Holodomor. It's like the um, uh, 1933-1934, if I'm not mistaken, like the big year of huge hunger that was... um, It actually was artificial hunger made by USSR, by Stalin. So, yeah, we were talking about that. And, yeah, and um, I remember my grandparents, they were saying something about it. But, you know, but they were saying that, yeah, there was a huge hunger, but um, it didn't really touch the west part of Ukraine that much as it did on the east. Mm -hmm. It was horrible back there, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was a direct translation, but we call it the false famine. How do you call call it? Sorry? False famine. So false being not true and famine being a hunger. Oh. So we call it a false famine. I don't know if that's a direct translation for um, the word you were looking for. Yeah, I think so, but um, I don't promise that I'll remember. (laughs) Well, your English is way better than my Ukrainian, so you don't need to worry about it. Um, Okay, so then you grew up in a free and independent Ukraine, do you remember much of the Orange Revolution and the Medan Revolution when that was taking place in 2004 and 2014? 2004, I don't remember that mm-hmm. much. I just remember, you know, that orange stickers everywhere regarding this uh, uh, Orange Revolution. But I was super young and I didn't even know what's going on. But 2014, yes, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, you were 18, so that was actually... Like a lot of the people that were very active in the Madan Revolution were kind of in that age yeah. group. I so. was 17 back then, okay. and I remember when it happened, you know, like, you know, mm, something has changed in me, you know, inside me. So I remember when I saw the news that people, like, they almost, you know, people from all over the country, they went to Maidan and they were singing Ukrainian anthem and they were standing for their rights. Oh, my God, I have goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah, and I remember when, you know, I was... I was watching it and I was crying, you know, I was just 17, I barely understand, uh, you know, what's going on, but still, I was crying and, I don't know, I felt so emotional and I felt like something has changed in me, you know, like inside me, like, mm, I think, you know, like some Ukrainian roots or blood or something from the past is just got awakened like woke up inside me you know so yeah it was it was something it was something magical it was have you ever watched winter on fire like the movie yeah the documentary no oh you need to watch that me and like four american military veterans who have been through wars all over the world and they're big tough guys sat and watched that together and all had tears in our eyes like goosebumps chills and it's not even our country like it was incredible what the people of ukraine did in 2014 and the way they bonded together and and really became a family of of uh citizens yeah you know i think that uh, back then 
if we start talking about politics, I'm not that good in politics, but no. I have my humble opinion <laughs> regarding everything. So I think back then the plan was to uh, to break the um, relationship, you know, like just to, I don't know, just to make each Ukrainian start fighting with each other and, you know, like doing some nasty nasty things to each other but like that was that was i think that was the plan of whose plan putin's plan oh, okay yeah but instead of this he got like uh, absolutely different outcome you yeah. know like we got bonded we got united and we got stronger and we realized our mm, we realized our roots our inheritance and our like you know i think we started forming as um subconsciously we started forming as ukrainian nation i mean we've been like don't get me wrong we've been ukrainians even before but when those things happened in 2014 that was the first time when each of us realized how strong we are how beautiful we are and um, mm. that we have like right values and we are fighting for you know for our values not for government that created or came came up with something we are fighting for our future and we want to live in free beautiful successful country you know and uh, yeah yeah and then at the age of 17 i don't i don't know how much you're actually paying attention to these things or how much they affect you but like the reaction to that was of course to take Crimea and take the Donbass region or most of it with Luhansk and Donetsk mm -hmm. did you process that much at that age like did you did it kind of hit you as to what was happening because you say you don't dabble in politics much but you just hit the nail on the head perfectly um that's exactly you know what the what the idea was that was his guy who was in power and he was luring him away from this agreement with the eu and the people said no this is our country and yeah. we want to be uh, a part of the west we want to be part of europe that was the chant was we are europe um in the maidan and then his response was oh shit there's this country right next door where the people can decide what happens because that's just foreign to him you know in his dictator yeah. world with him and his mobsters that run it it's it's a absurd to him to think that people can change the future of a country um so he responds by taking crimea and taking the donbass did that really register when you were i mean 17 years old i don't know how how much that was part of your uh, world but yeah that was upsetting i remember that you know like we've been frustrated like that how come like how how dare you to come and take our land like something that is ours like we did nothing to you, you know, like we were not taking your territory or something, you know, we were never saying anything bad or doing anything bad, right? Uh, Russian tourists, they were coming over to Ukraine. Um, we were, you know... Was uh, there we a lot of that? Like even after 2014, Russians that would come and, and vacation in Lviv or vacation down in the Carpathians by... After 2014, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But before that, that's for sure. Like to yeah. Odessa. They called Odessa their mother, you know. Like they were going there and enjoying themselves on vacation. So, yeah. Like it was pretty a lot of them mm -hmm. back then. So, yeah. And, you know, we were treating them nicely. But I don't know what happened. 
you know, it just it just break my world into pieces that you know some somebody can come into a country and take the part of it and you know and um, being not punished for that i don't know um, i don't know how to say that right i think you said yeah. it perfectly <laughs> <laughs> we all ask that question um, yeah. a lot of times when we're all talking about this we say like and I say we because I'm one of them. You know, I didn't pay a lot of attention to Ukraine prior to this invasion, which shame on me. It's it's one of the dumbest uh, mistakes I've made was not not spending more time learning about Ukraine. Um, now that I've been here and realized what an incredible country this is, but we talk all the time about the fact that one of the biggest problems that got us to where we are today is the fact that the world did nothing in 2014. That yeah. when Crimea was taken and, and Luhansk and Donetsk was taken, you know, the United States and Britain had sat in on a treaty. It was it was an agreement um, between Russia and Ukraine mm-hmm. right after the, well, not right after, several years after the USSR dissolved, where Ukraine gave up their nuclear program. And in exchange, Russia said, we will honor the borders and we will never encroach on your land to include Crimea and the Donbass. And the United States and Great Britain sat in on that and signed as witnesses. And when nobody did anything in 2014, when he came and took Crimea and took the Donbass, um, I think that's what boldened him to think he could get away with it again if he took more. And, and that's where we are today. So you're right. It was a shame that somebody came into your country, took part of it, and nobody did anything. And they yeah. weren't punished. That was upsetting part. But at the same time, I understand that, you know, back then we were not ready to fight. We were not that well armed. Um, the military was not that strong. And um, I have a lot of questions to our, like, back then government, you know. But at the same time, I can partially understand them, you know. Like, we were not that strong. And we were definitely not expecting that hit from our neighbor. And, uh, yeah, so it was a little bit complicated. What also came at a big time of instability, you guys... And by you guys, I mean the people of Ukraine had just kicked your own president out of the country um, in the Maidan Revolution, right? And so you had just changed your entire government, and that's when he did it, which, of course, was on purpose. He knew it was unstable. It was a brand-new president, a brand-new parliament. Um, They weren't ready to deal with with Russia coming in. Exactly. So, yeah, so back then, you know, it was like, I don't know. I think we all took it as... um, you know, it was like a back on our na- in our n- like <laughs> knife in our back. You know, because um, mo- lots of people considered Russians being our brothers. Thankfully, <laughs> now nobody Not thinks that so way. Much. But you know, yeah. like you never expected from the um, from the person you yeah. ca- you call you know like a brother, and then they stab you in your back. Yeah. And that gave us that, uh, you know, that understanding who is next to us and that we have to be prepared and be ready any minute because uh, we know what to expect and we know exactly from whom. So basically what started in 2014, I think it gave us uh, understanding and a lot of time to get ready for. So did you did you have that in the back of your mind? During those eight years between 2014 and 2022, was that kind of the common theme in Ukraine was, we know we can't trust Russia and I wonder if they're going to try and take over the whole country or was this kind of blindsided you? 
No, like uh, honestly speaking, I couldn't imagine that somebody would let the war started in Europe in 2020. It was like, you know, 23rd of February and my friends are saying, "Oh my god, something is coming. Apparently we got the war is going to the war going to start." And I'm like, Come on, guys, are you kidding me? It's like 21st century, yeah. 2022, center of Europe. <laughs> no, it's impossible. Like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I knew that there was like escalation and I've, I've seen on the news that something big is coming, but I never thought that it's going to be that big. And, and you were in Kiev? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's... um. A lot of commentators have made that comment that how in the world are we in 2022 and there's a country trying to take over another country in Europe? Like that's, we all thought that was a thing of the past. So we'll go there. So it's the 23rd. It's the day before all this happens. You're in Kiev. You have some friends that are talking about it, but the general consensus is, well, sure. That's, that's a rumor going around, but is it really going to happen? Um, 4.30, 5.30 in the morning on the 24th, the missiles start coming in. And and, uh, what in the world is your reaction? When you wake up to those sounds, like, what do you really think it is at first? Like, I would imagine you don't wake up and go, oh, we're under attack, because who the hell expects (laughs) that, right? Like, what was that morning like for you? Well, that one, that morning was interesting, because I woke up, my friend running into, like, I used to rent an apartment with my best friend and she was out that day and she came back early in the morning around 6.30 or 7 a.m. And she opened the door and she started screaming, wake up, the war started. And, you know, and the other friend, uh, she was from Kharkiv, by the way. She just came over for a week to visit us. Oh, wow. Very fortunate for her. Yes. Uh, So it was like three of us, you know, we had like holidays and yeah, and we both woke up and we were like what are you talking and the other friend she is like the war started and i'm like no way i'm gonna go to sleep and apparently it's a bad uh, dream or something something i'm having so yeah um wake me up a little bit later and uh, like it's impossible and she's like the war started check the news and i'm checking the news and and I'm like, oh my god! And next thing, what I'm doing, I'm just going to the to check the window, what's going on outside, and I see like military helicopters are flying, and I see like um, you know that heavy atmosphere. Cars are running super fast in a rush. You can feel it. It was so tough. The energy that day was. Oh my god, I'm having goosebumps again. <laughs> yeah. It was it was something that very hard to describe with words like I never experienced that thing. And what are you obviously there's a million thoughts going through your head at that time, but what are you expecting? Are you thinking they're going to take over Kiev and pretty soon we're going to see Russian shol- soldiers in the street? Or are you thinking they're just going to bomb the place? Are you th- What was going through your head? Like what was I thought it was going to last for another three, four days and that's it. It's going to be over. No. I, never, I never ever had a thought that 
that they will take over or that they will, you know, like that Ukraine turn into something under Russia, you know. So you weren't sitting there going, oh, my God, we're about to be taken over and become no. Russia. You were like, yeah, whatever, no, I Ukraine's got this. I didn't know. Maybe it was, yeah. like, irresponsible. You ended up being thinking, correct. So. Thinking that yeah. way. But, yeah, back then I was like, no, like, our military guide, they're going to fight that shit out from our country and everything's going to be all right. But then, but, yeah. What I was wrong about, about the timing. I thought that the war is going to end 28 of February. I don't know why, but oh, I well, had that. That would have been nice. Yeah. Well, I guess I would have never discovered Ukraine if that was the case. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, so, mm, but then, you know, 28 of February and it's still war. And I was like, okay, maybe a few more months and it's going to be over after a few months. uh Few more months, few more months, and we are almost hitting 365 days. Yeah. So on that first day, I would assume you're calling your parents. Uh, they're still in the town I can't pronounce, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's make it clear. I was in Kiev when right. the war started, and my yeah. parents, they were in the west part of Ukraine. Yeah, so what so. are they telling you? Are they asking you to try and get out of the city? Of are they? But that was not an easy option, right? Because pretty much everyone in the city is trying to get out of the city. And paratroopers from Russia have come in on the west side of Kiev. Mm -hmm. um, and are, there's actually a lot of heavy battling going on on 40, which is the road to go to where your parents were. Mm -hmm. So what was the what were those conversations like with, with your parents? My mom called me and like, oh, my God. The war started. Please pack your stuff and come come to Westport ASAP. And I'm like, Mom, slow down. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. You know, I was the one who was like calming down my mom all the time, you know. And she was like, no. Oh, my God. They are bombing key of this and that. And I'm like, I have food. I have water. I have heat. We have strong. Uh, we have strong army. And so far, everything is good. Like, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I was, like, super stubborn. And my mom, she was like, please leave. And I was, like, explaining to her logically, like, listen, like, all the roads uh, leading out of Kiev, they are all in traffic and they are all blocked because of cars. And like many of them are of cars. blocked by Russians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in the first days, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of fighting going on on 40. What about your friends, everybody else in Kiev? Like, what was the atmosphere like in Kiev? Were your friends all feeling the same way? Like, we got this, we'll, we'll hunker down and we'll get through it? Or were there some friends going, we're all going to die? Like, what was the mood in Kiev? Um, actually, most of my friends and people I know, they left. They tried to escape Kiev for the first two, like, two, three, within two, three days, almost all of them left. And yeah, everybody was just, you know, like we were not calling each other, but we were just texting and lots of them. I never expected a lot that amount of people calling or texting me and checking, you know, because they knew that I was staying in Kiev. So yeah, but most of them, they went to the west part of Ukraine. Yeah. So it's just... Heli with sandbags in her windows and her Ukrainian flag just sitting there fighting off the Russians. Shame on me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a Ukrainian flag back then. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. So at some point, though, you do leave Kiev. Is that at what point did you decide to leave Kiev? 
Well, all my relatives from all over the Ukraine were calling me every 10 minutes and asking to leave Kiev. So she left Kiev just to shut them up. <laughs> yeah, basically, I, you know, I couldn't stand it anymore because, you know, like my phone was constantly ringing from different relatives and they were all saying like, oh, your mom is worrying this and that, you know, like they were trying to touch like emotional part of me, you know, like cheeky. Do it for mommy. Yeah. And yeah. And I couldn't resist that pressure. So I left. Yeah, and when was that? I don't remember. Like early March or was it still early February? March? Okay. Early March, yeah. I remember I spent a few days in the bomb shelter and I got sick. After that, I didn't go to the bomb shelter. And I think after that, I left. Yeah. So on the 24th, the day of the attack, you went to a bomb shelter? No. <laughs> the, <laughs> probably the most dangerous day in Kiev? No. No, I no, didn't go to a bomb shelter. Why would I do that? I didn't. I was so day one, in my bed. So day one. You're not giving in. Uh, day two or three, at some point, you go to a bomb shelter. Yeah. Was that the subway, or did you, when you say bomb shelter, was this a basement under your building? Or yeah, it was a parking lot uh, in my building. I went to the bomb shelter the moment they were entering the Obolon, and I used to live in Obolon, you know? Mm -hmm. So, it's yeah. It's not that far out, yeah. No, and like the moment when I saw the video that the, there are tanks going, you know, just just on the streets, and I realized that it's like neighbor district, and I was like, oh, apparently this is the time when we need yeah. to go to the bomb shelter. At that point, are you starting to get concerned that you might see Russian tanks on your street soon? Or are you still just... Well, definitely, I was scared. Yeah, I was scared for sure. But at the same time, I don't know. I just had that feeling that everything's gonna be all right and everything is happening for the reason. And uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. You know, like it's now. I'm sitting here and it's funny this and that. Yeah, I was concerned still. You know, I was trying to calm myself down to think rationally. You know, not to do stupid things. You know, like um, based on nerves, so to say, like doing something in a rush. You know, but uh, yeah, uh, still I was uh, like we all were under pressure. You know, mm. and it was scary and. Um, I don't know. Y you just don't know if you're gonna make it to till the evening. Like if you, you know, you don't know if you if you wake up tomorrow. That's the thing. So basically, when I was going to sleep, I was always sending my mom like a big message, and uh, sleeping in the bomb shelter. And I was just wondering, you know, I had only one question in my head: like, am I gonna wake up tomorrow, or I'm gonna be dead? That's it. So, yeah, so basically when you were having that, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's scary. It's scary, you know. A lot of things change in your head. Mm, a lot of, like, what was, what was precious to you or you called values, it was not there anymore because during those times in the you know like you just realize that what real values are so yeah realize what's really important exactly when you have the risk of losing it yeah, yeah. 
So you go to Western Ukraine. That was a hard one. Yeah. yeah, that was that was horrible journey. But yeah, I made it. How? Oh well, so I'm, go- I'm gonna tell you, Jesus. I'm gonna tell you that story. It sounds Please like do. a blockbuster or something. You know, like, like American movie. I'm <laughs> telling you, I never thought I'm gonna be. You know, like in America, on the bottom of a helicopter. No, <laughs> <laughs> not that one. So not a Tom Cruise movie. Okay, <laughs> no. all right. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, so yeah, like there was. Mm, sorry. Let's have a cheers before that beautiful story. Salute. Salute, man. Then you got a parcel from Spain. Salute, Navidad. You know, yeah. it's in Spanish. Well, it's actually Feliz Navidad. Yeah, it's I never Christmas said time. that my Spanish is oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Fair hope enough. you're going to cut it off. Fair enough. So, yeah. What happened actually was is a funny story. It's funny now, but not back then. Yeah. So I um we couldn't we couldn't order the taxi. It was like it was extremely expensive. You were trying to get a taxi from Kiev to No, from Kiev to a railway station. Oh, okay. I was that like, was that's <laughs> a long drive. That's like a five hour drive no. <laughs> without traffic. Yeah. Okay. So to the train station. So did you already have a train ticket? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on. That's why I was like, I'm pretty sure the train station was probably a little busy those days. Oh, I wouldn't call it a little busy. I would call it packed. Like you couldn't, you couldn't even breathe in there, you know? So yeah, there was um, like a big curfew coming for three or four days. So basically you were not allowed to go out like at all for a few days. So my mom, she was concerned because she knew that something bad's gonna happen if they're you know doing implementing that curfew so yeah my um my mom she was like begging me to go and yeah i did um we got the taxi and the moment you know it was like i think it was the moment when they were reloading their their guns or like whatever they are shooting from i don't know how you call it in english like tanke you know like i don't even know yet actually in ukrainian like different you know like army um not vehicles like the shooting ones you know are we talking about vehicles or people vehicles so tanks not tanks. bmps we would call them yeah it's like an like armor personnel carrier that has a, a large caliber uh firing mechanism on top. Yeah, I okay. think they were reloading those firing mechanisms, right? And there was the time, like the gap, when it was like super silent in Kiev. No bombs, no explosions, nothing. Okay, so we're talking about mortars and rockets. They were shooting mortars, um, and so they were reloading them, is what you're saying. So there was no incoming booms. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what that word means, uh, yeah. what you just said. But it's yeah, there was no booms, no explosions. No. So it was silent. And we thought that that's the, the best time to go to railway station. Because the moment you got there, you still have like a s- tiny chance to get on a plane. So yeah, we jumped into the taxi. Uh, finally, we found it. And yeah, uh, the moment we, the moment I closed the door, I heard the explosion just on the back. 
you know, like somewhere maybe two or three streets away and we were all like this, you know, like sitting, looking at each other and the taxi driver, he just pushed the gas. I would hope so. Battle. <laughs> yeah, Turn into a New York City taxi driver at that point. Get to where you're going. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, he was driving so fast. Yeah, so he got us to the railway station, I think in 10 minutes. We came there and yeah, and I started looking for the train which is going to the west part of Ukraine because I didn't really like, I didn't really know what's, uh, you know, what is going on on there. And uh, yeah, I went to the um, station. I couldn't see anything like lots of people. And then I saw the schedule, um, the schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, train um, schedule. Train schedule. Like yeah. I went on the to the platform, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And I saw that there is like a train going somewhere, but I don't know where. So and there were like police guys standing over there. And I turned and asked them, like, listen, uh, where this train is going? Like, is it going to West Part of Ukraine? They looked at me, they took me and just pushed me in the train. And I'm like, Am I going to West Part of like where am I going? And they're like, Please shut up and go run and i'm like okay and like and i was just sitting there in the train and i was like oh my god what's going on and i asked people no like, clue where you were going no clue and i asked them the people like okay where this train is going is it going to west part of ukraine they were like it is going to lviv and i'm like wow and the thing is that that uh train was over like it was stuffed you know like people were sitting on the floor like no space at all and the moment they pushed me in there i guess i was the last passenger over there because the the train started going and so basically when we when we uh, took not took off mm -hmm. when yeah. took off yeah. I thought take I mean, off it's only not for the airplane. Take off, yeah, it's probably more yeah. for an airplane. But yeah. when you got started, when it went yeah. down, yeah, yeah, when we when the train started going, that's the time when I'm when I realized and find out where I'm going. So yeah, and that was that was hard because we were stopping a few times because they were shooting the train and shooting the path. Were you by yourself? Obviously, there was a million people on the train, yeah. but I'm saying nobody you knew. You weren't traveling with anyone, just traveling. No. Jesus. I had nothing with no. me, like nothing at all. I just had a bottle of water, a can of tuna, just in case if we... It's good protein. There's nothing wrong with it. That's a good... I mean, if I you're going to grab know. something, that's a good thing to grab. It is. Yeah. That'll hold you over for a while. I had one pair of socks and uh, leggings, you know, just in case if we sleep in the field or like somewhere outside, because you never know what's going to happen and you never know if you're going to make it. So, yeah. And so. what a hero taxi driver. I'm sorry to back all the way up, but think about that. Like there's explosions going off. That's a pretty good excuse to take the day off of work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and this guy's still out there for taxiing people to the train station. That's awesome. Yeah, I hope he's doing fine because uh, he saved our lives. Sounds like the kind of guy that's probably doing just fine. Yeah. yeah. Good for him. So you you luck out for anyone listening who doesn't know, Lviv is probably the best possible destination you could have at that time. Um, it's in the western part of Ukraine, very close to Poland. Um, 
it ended up being the place that a lot of people from eastern Ukraine fled to. Um, and you just got lucky that a couple police officers who cared about their fellow Ukrainian threw you onto the train literally and uh, got you on the way to Lviv with nothing on you. And I assume at this point you're trying to reach your parents to say, hey, which Lviv is not too far from where they are, right? Like two hours away. Yeah, be like, hey, this is, this is where I'll be, apparently, is Lviv. Yeah. And they come and get you, or what's the... No, no, I, you know, after coming from Kiev to Lviv, you know, I realized how damaged I was, you know, like emotionally. I was like, when I was in Kiev, I was staying strong and, you know, I don't know, it, it was like a glass wall around me. So I was like always strong, like cheering myself up, cheering my parents and uh, trying to think in a positive way, you know, like still being anxious a little bit, but it's staying strong. But, you know, the moment I, I step out in Lviv, I think that, you know, it like years, real. yeah, they just faded away, so to say. And, and I started crying. I realized, like, it, I don't know, it was like different reality to me. And I've been facing that feeling a few more times, you know. But, yeah, it was like so weird that Kiev is on fire and Lviv is, you know, like silent. So, yeah, that was weird to me. I was scared to be outside. I was, like, hiding. So, you know, imagine me in that emotional state, coming back to home, like, straight away. My parents would be, I don't know, they would be scared to death. Yeah. And I decided to, I said to my mom, okay, I'm staying in Kiev for one, two, or, uh, in sorry, Lviv. in Lviv yeah, for yeah. one or two days. Just, you know, just, like, uh, I'll relax after this long journey, and I'll come home. But really, you just need to yeah. clear your head a little bit. I just needed to, you know, calm myself down and just, I don't know, because I didn't want my mom to see me in that emotional state. I think she would, she would, I don't know, she would mm, blame herself for that till the rest of her days, you know, seeing me that way. And, you know, like, I know that... I know that she couldn't do anything. She couldn't stop the war, you know, but she would blame herself for letting me go to Kiev, not uh, inviting me to home, like uh, just, you know, coming up with something and like, oh, can you come, can you come home? You know, just I need some help or something, you know, like with any ideas and yeah. But uh, yeah, I came home and everything was good. You know, I was in a good. And then you left... Ukraine altogether. When was when was that decision made that you would go to? First, it was Canada, correct? No, I went to. Okay. I have the story wrong, so correct <laughs> me. Walk me through it. You, you stay at your parents' house for a little bit, and then you go to where? Well, um, we went to Poland to Warsaw. I took my young sister because, you know, like the news were kind of threatening back then. They were always saying that Belarus going to come from that side and Belarus is like three, three and a half hours from from. Yeah, it's pretty close. What time? What time frame is this now? Middle of March, maybe? Or is it later? Okay. Yeah. So and then, you know, I was then we find found out about bucha about all these things which were going on there and i realized that i have a young sister 
god forbid something happens i would blame myself till the rest of my days you know so and, and my for those listening who aren't familiar uh in bucha was uh, unfortunately not the only place this has been discovered but it is the first place uh that it was widely known and discovered um that they were torturing raping killing uh civilians that they weren't yeah. just fighting against the ukrainian army that the russians were doing some terrible terrible things uh, to the civilians. So that's what she's referencing with Gucha. Yeah, so, and we found out all these terrible things that they did, and I realized, okay, if they are going to come from Belarus side, we are way much closer, and it's not, you know, like that part is not that protected as Kiev. And yeah, I just, I, I don't know, like she's 16 years old, girl the full life is ahead of her you know and she and i thought that i have to take her to a safe place because i was trying to convince my mom but my mom wouldn't go because she has like a grandma and grandma couldn't really go far you know so yeah my mom was saying that i'm staying because of my mom like i cannot leave her alone like i'm staying here and you just girls go and I'm like, okay. So it was a hard decision, but I, I understand. Like, I realized that we need that, you know, like that break and to go somewhere. Me for sure. And if I'm going somewhere, I definitely need to take my sister with me. You know, so I wouldn't. <clears throat> That's a tough one, you know. Yeah, so I took my sister and we went to Warsaw. And uh, yeah, we spent there one week or two weeks. And then she started like, oh, I miss my mom. I don't want to stay. I miss my cat. I miss my friends. My friends are staying in Ukraine and yeah. you took me to Poland. Why did you do that? I'm homesick. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. If you want to go home, I'm not going to be torturing you or something, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I dropped her off. Like, I took her back home. But then I went back to Poland. I went back to Poland. Then was the time when I started doing visa. Yeah. And after that, after that, I went to... Actually, no. I've been to Poland for two months. I spent there two months. And um, what happened then? I got my Canada visa, mm -hmm. and instead of going to Canada, guess what? I came straight to Kiev. It was May. They came were to Kiev in still May. bombing. I was so homesick. Well, and so I, I don't want to skip over those two months, and if there's stuff you don't want to talk about, you don't have to. But you come from Kiev, which people who are in the military are very familiar with what you were talking about. When you're in the moment... Um, usually when you're at the greatest threat is usually when you're the most emotionally strong because you don't have time to face mentally mm -hmm. what it is that you're facing, right? So then you get to Lviv after a train ride by yourself, obviously surrounded by a lot of people, but by yourself. And you get to Lviv and you start to process. And all of a sudden you realize what you just went through and not only what you just went through, but what is still going on in the city that you call home. And you start to actually process all of the things that you had been kind of just navigating subconsciously. 
then you end up in a city where you don't, I don't know if you didn't know anybody, but where you didn't live by yourself because you've taken your sister back home and you spend two months there. Yeah. Not a good place in your head, is it? I wouldn't be being alone and processing all of that by yourself. I have to imagine that. I'm lucky because my father, he lives in Warsaw. Okay. So on your like on weekends we saw each other. Usually we were spending weekends together, but during the week, yes, I was like alone with my thoughts. And I have a friend. She's from Kiev, but she moved to Warsaw because of the war. Okay, good. Yeah, my best friend Diana. So she she still lives there, and yeah, I was spending some time with her, but that was a tough two months because you know, you're going out like going to the grocery store you see people walking having coffee smiling take care about like you know normal things that we used to but that was taken away from us and we don't have that normal life anymore and we are not living we are surviving you know like every day is a challenge and so yeah it was it was a tough one and at that point, were you still convinced that Ukraine was going to get all the Russians out of the country, or were you starting to be concerned that you might never be able be able to go back to Kiev? Sorry, my English is kind of bad. <laughs> that you might never be able to go back to Kiev. What was your during this time in in Poland? What was the thought? Like, what did you expect? Well, I had that thought that it's not fair. First of all. Mm-hmm. And second of all, I never had no doubt in my country. Like, I don't know. I don't know why. But I never doubt that we, you know, like, that something's going to happen. Because you're Ukrainian. All of you, all of you are just like, nah, nah, no matter what, we're going to come through this. Yeah, so I don't know. I never had any doubts. I had some, you know, I had some doubts doubts, uh, regarding some... I was more concerned about European countries, rather Ukraine, you know. What do you mean? Either, like, if they gonna stay strong and support us. Oh. You know? <coughs> like, so your greater concern was whether or not the support that you were feeling was going to continue. Yes. That's the yeah. biggest fear of each Ukrainian was because we remember how it was in 2014. Yeah. And in Poland, what is the... What is the reaction of the Polish people when you're there? Like, are you getting positive uh, interactions? They're they're supportive. Oh, they're beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I remember how how they were meeting us at the border, and how they how helpful they were. You know, like they showed. Uh, you know, they showed great support to our people and they did a lot of things you know like they were organizing these camps uh, for people who lost their homes or like yeah they were supportive they were helping and I remember when I was checking in in the hotel and they asked me like oh where are you from and I'm like Ukraine and they're like oh you know like People were getting numb and they were like extra cautious with you. They were like, I don't know, like doing, like stepping. Um, how do you call it again? I don't know. 
Interesting. Like, you know, like uh, trying to Walking on eggshells around you would be maybe what you're yeah, trying like to say. Like just being very cautious about what yeah, they did. Yeah, like very careful. Okay. And they were trying to support and to, like trying to do something a little bit more extra, okay. you know? Gotcha. Now, you mentioned at the border they were helpful. How did you get from Lviv to, to Warsaw? By bus. By bus. Yeah. yeah. No. Like, because, you know, I was traveling. Well, actually, I guess you were going from your parents' hometown. To yeah, Warsaw. I was going through to Warsaw a few times. Like, for the past year, I crossed that border, like, oh, my God, around yeah. 12 times, I guess. Yeah, and more to come. Your passport probably looks a lot like mine. A lot of <laughs> Polish and Ukrainian stamps. Yes. Yeah. So you spent a couple months in Warsaw, um, and, and you described what it was like trying to process it. And then you decide you're going to get a Canadian visa. At that point... That's my parents. They were like, oh, maybe you get a Canadian visa. You speak English and maybe you go there. We have friends there. Maybe you maybe you better stay there for a while. And I was like. So do you think that was because you've made it pretty clear that at no point in time did you think Ukraine was going to lose this and cease to exist? Um, was that for you? Was that more of a, I, I really need a distraction. Like, I, I need to find something. I can't just sit here and think about all the shit that's happening. I need a distraction. I need to try and live again. I need something new. Was that kind of what it was for you? I'm not trying to assume. Like going to Canada? Yeah. Uh, well, I realized that, um, like, the war is there, and I have to be somewhere safe, you know, because... Uh, mm, and my parents, actually, you know, I would stay in Kiev, but my parents, they were asking me, like, oh, maybe you go to Canada. And, you know, I was not in a good emotional state back then. I was, yeah, and I was thinking maybe I should really go there. And at the same time, I didn't really want to leave the country. I was a little bit stubborn. So my mom, she put that way, she put it in a different way, that question, like me going to Canada. She was like... She was like calming me down and saying like, listen, you going to Canada doesn't mean that you are moving there. Take it as a vacation. It's going to be like one month's vacation. You go see around like if you like it or not. If you want to stay, if you want to stay, that's good. We are supporting you and um, you can start your life over there. But if you don't want to stay there, you just go is explore the country, see beautiful Smart places. Woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my mom, she's like, wow. <laughs> she's like, you love traveling, just go take it. Like, you wanted to go to Canada, like on a vacation, so take it as a vacation. And I'm like, okay. When you put it that way. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. like, okay, in this way I can go to Canada, but otherwise I wouldn't. Like, I'm not moving there. And she's like, you're not moving there, you're just going of there. Course. Well, I said the same thing about coming to Ukraine. <laughs> I'm only going for three weeks, seven yeah. months ago. So I do want to back up real quick, though. You mentioned that after Poland, after Warsaw, you went back to Kiev first. Yes. Before Canada, correct? Yes. So was that a, I need to go back and get my stuff? Or was that you were thinking of staying in Kiev? 
I said to <laughs> not what you said to your mother. Okay, I already know without <laughs> doubt that you told your mother. I just need to go back and get my things because I didn't bring anything with me. But yeah. what were you really intending? I thought I'm gonna stay. Yeah, like I don't know 100%. why I assumed that. Yeah. <laughs> well, because you know me too well. <laughs> yeah. So you go to Kiev uh, after a couple months in Warsaw, and this is May. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Um, I was in country at this point, so I know there was still not very safe in Kiev. Mm -hmm. um, but you came back. What led you? Did you go straight from there to Canada? I'm not saying immediately, but that was the next step was to Canada. Yeah. So you, you came to Kiev and you were smart and told your mom, oh, I'm just going to get some things. But your mom was smarter and <laughs> was like, I'll counter your tactic. And said, well, why don't you take a little vacation in Canada? It's beautiful this time of the year. And so you went to Canada. Is that pretty much how that worked? Yeah. Mm, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. All right. And so you end up spending, how long was it? Two months, three months in Canada? Two months. Two months. If you Actually, if my mom, she said that I'm going there only for one month. And I spent two. So I have questions to this, <laughs> to that woman, you know? <laughs> uh, well... So how long was your visa? How did that work with um, Canada? I know they were one of the most proactive in helping Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. So some props to Canada for that. Um, that they were pretty quick on, on coming up with special visas, right, for, for Ukrainians. So how long was your visa? How long could you have stayed? Mm, I actually got my ID in Canada. So I have like a, yeah, but I can stay there up to... Five years. Oh, so a long. My long visa time. is for till two thousand twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah. So two months, pretty long time. You meet some people. You get a little bit of a life going in Canada, but you still come back to Kiev. Um, yeah. Why? I don't know. It just you know just something inside me. I cannot explain it like rationally, you know, if we are talking about some being smart, you know, like it's a great chance to go to Canada. It's a nice country. Um, they are offering a lot of nice things, right? Great future. I could get a nice job, stay there, travel in the world, worrying about nothing. Like it's a good opportunity, especially me, you know, barely speaking English, but still can communicate. You and speak very good English, yeah. not being humble, but yes. Um, it is a good opportunity. It is. It's actually um, a good opportunity, you know. So All um, the Canadian jokes that we make in the United States are just jokes. We actually love Canada. Um, uh. So you had a good opportunity. You had a good opportunity to, to stay in Canada. Um, but your Ukrainian heart said, this isn't home. I just couldn't. I don't know. Everything was different. Streets were not like in Ukraine. People well, that's because your like streets are absolutely crazy in Ukraine. Everything <laughs> was not like in Ukraine. And I was, you know, actually, when I was in Canada, it was, I guess, it was the hardest time for me. More so than during Poland. this, you know, like. Do you think that was the distance? Like feeling that far away from home? Or was it the potential of, um, I mean, I would assume it. At that point, you're kind of weighing in your head the options, like maybe I do stay here. And so maybe it was just making that heavy of decisions was what made it so difficult. Or? Yeah, it was yeah. like a mixture of all of this, you know. It was like everything combined in one. 
so imagine like my head was so heavy and um, yeah it was it was super hard time like you know like since 24th of february till this day that was the hardest time for me like those two months in canada Mm, you know i'm always like positive nice um, like trying to think in a positive way you know and uh, i barely know what depression is but in canada i figure it out you know i never went to psychologist or someone like i never felt like i'm in that bad mood that you know like i need someone's help but in canada i felt that and i went to a psychologist actually and she said that i'm going through ptsd so like everyone in ukraine does you know so yeah and like we she started treating me from that and that was the best thing for me being in canada cuz you know like i've like this lady she's she's awesome she helped me a lot but it was the hardest time i guess in my life being in canada that's why i didn't stay there it's not because of the country or something it's just my emotional state you know i couldn't take it and uh, going to all this session with the psychologist i was just like explaining her telling her this and that and uh, you know she was like all trying to she was like trying to make me think in a little bit different way in perspective about Canada like stay about living and staying in Canada at least to have it like as a safe place and to wait when the war is over but uh, she was trying to persuade mm-hmm. me in that you know but i was always saying like oh i miss ukraine i miss that and at some point i said like listen i feel nothing's gonna happen i just and nothing's gonna help me the only thing which gonna help me is me being in ukraine touching my ground seeing my people seeing ukrainian flag being surrounded with ukrainian trees everything like because i cannot take it and you know she was like I think yeah I think you should go home. Oh good for her. Yeah and next day I took the <laughs> mm-hmm. that I fast. <gasps> so it's next just another day. day in Canada eating maple syrup <laughs> and drinking milk that was delivered to your doorstep living the Canadian life. I'm going to go talk to my counselor for today just another day and then one conversation you're like oh I'm out peace. <laughs> Next, yeah, I'm, I booked the ticket and in one week I was already sitting in the airplane and uh, flying to Toronto first and after that I was flying to Warsaw. And what did your mom think of this? My mom? Yeah. She knows me. She was like, oh, I knew you were coming. <laughs> I didn't think you'd make it two months. Yeah, yeah. she was like, oh, you are, you you were doing pretty good. Like, oh, two months. That's and good. And then she's trying to convince you to go back to your hometown or she knew it was a losing battle and that you were coming back to Kiev what i mean when you came back from canada mm-hmm. was she trying to get you to stay in 
I keep saying your hometown because I still can't pronounce it. Okay. Ah, it's some point, okay. Yes. <laughs> um, trying to get you to stay there or did she just know that you were, you were probably going to go back? to? Oh, she knew. Yeah. She knew. She actually, she asked me to stay in uh, Radovelli maybe like for a week. Mm. She was like, just stay for a week, please. And after two days, I was like, oh, um, I'm actually on a train to Kiev. She was like, okay. All right, Good so luck. then when is this? July, August, that you come back to Kiev after Canada? It was late July, early August. Somewhere in between. I don't remember, actually. I don't remember the dates. Yeah, and then you come back to Kiev, and that's actually kind of a period of time where Kiev isn't all that incredibly dangerous. Um, not a lot of attacks hitting Kiev. Most of the action is in the south, in the east. Kiev kind of starts to return to some sense of normalcy. And we can talk and we'll talk more about what I mean by normalcy because for Ukrainian, it's normal. Um, that They're not ignoring the war. Like extremely patriotic, people raising money on their own personal Instagram accounts to buy vehicles to send to the military. So when I say returns to normal. I don't want anyone thinking that, I mean, Kiev just goes back to normal, like nothing's happening. It is still pervasive in the atmosphere. You can feel that the entire country is fighting this war behind their soldiers. But businesses are back open. Uh, people are going back to work. A lot of people are returning to Kiev. You're not the only one. Um, we, we joke and laugh, but it's not a joke about how like Ukrainians are kind of born with this magnet inside of them. And then the mother magnet is in Ukraine. And no matter how far away they go, they just eventually get pulled right back <laughs> into Ukraine. And people start coming back from, from the places that they left to when the war got bad in the beginning. And Kiev kind of starts to feel like Kiev again. I would assume I'm not a native of Kiev, but that was the time that I started spending some time in Kiev. And it was kind of that sense of, everybody's coming back together and seeing each other again like oh how have you been we both kind of took off and ran separate directions in the beginning and now we're back and it's getting to some sense of normalcy that was probably very therapeutic for you yeah that was amazing yeah that was awesome like i remember okay so I remember the first day, like, you know, we're going to talk about energy and atmosphere wise. I'm a girl. I, <laughs> I see the world through this kind of things. I mean, I said the atmosphere first. Okay, so okay. I think you're safe. You can say whatever you'd like. So the atmosphere of the first, like on the first day of war, it was like I couldn't even ex describe it with words but it was tough when i came in may to kiev it was still you know there was like that smell in the air of like the bullet you know like i don't know how to explain it but just you just shoot it and still you have that smell mm -hmm. so it smelled like war you know like it smelled like war like danger still it was heavy but when i came back in uh, august it was like totally different. It smelled like croissants and espresso. It smelled like freedom. Yeah. It smelled like home. Yeah. So at that point, I think is probably when you decide that's it. I'm staying in Kiev for good. Like not not doing the check out Warsaw, check out Canada. I'm done. 
I'm back with my people. I'm back in my life. As you said, I'm touching my dirt again, and uh, and I'm staying in Kiev. No. Okay. So on the way to Warsaw, when I was on the airplane, I was praying to God to give me the reason to stay in Ukraine because imagine being here in Ukraine, having no job, like it's a little bit dangerous over here. You have to you have to rent out an apartment, live, and you know, like you have to do something. You have to be occupied, you know. And uh, yeah, you have some saved money, but they tend to ends, right? So I was thinking, like, mm, I I definitely gonna spend some time in Kiev, enjoy. But if I I like, I wouldn't find any job. That would be hard for me to stay, you know, and I apparently I would have to move somewhere, you know, and go somewhere and look for something, you know, because uh, we all people and we need some food, you know, like some supplies, so to say. So, yeah, and when I was flying, I was just praying to God to give me the reason to stay in Ukraine, you know, and uh, when I came to Kiev. Uh, I just had friends to visit, you know, I was staying in my friend's house and uh, spending some time with them and I was not like, uh, mm, like, you know, like actively looking for the job, but still I was like listening to what people are talking about, what are they doing and wondering like, oh, and yeah and on one party i just met an hr manager and she was like oh maybe you'll take the the courses and i was like yes i'm taking everything what you're giving to me like i'm grabbing each opportunity just the reason just give me please just give me the reason to stay here because mm-hmm. if i have job if i have something to do like Mm, at least I can fight on the economical side, uh, you know, and at the same time I can be in a happy place and happy, you know, in my home country. So I can be useful and I can be happy. Yeah, Uh, that was a conversation you and I had um, probably a couple months ago at this point, was talking about how difficult it is to navigate supporting the people who are laying their lives down at the front um, without letting it shut down everybody. In other words, is it really okay to still go to restaurants, to live your life, to, you know, should you feel guilty about the fact that, you know, some people say, like, it's not okay that everyone is just living like nothing's happening when people are dying. And we were talking about the fact that a healthy Ukraine and continuing the country that those soldiers love and what they're fighting for and keeping it alive through the economy, through, through everything that is Ukraine and making sure that what it is that they're remembering as they're out there fighting is still very much alive and flourishing is actually the best way that you can support them. It's giving them that, that common goal, that light at the end of the tunnel that they're fighting for instead of having, you know, a dead Ukraine behind them because, Nobody is doing what you're saying, and that is finding a way to contribute to the economy and be here and keep the Ukraine dream alive, keep the flame going. Um, so you get that opportunity. I have a curiosity question. We're going to take, like, this is a real change in pace here, but I'm just real curious because this never occurred to me before, but when you were just talking, I was like, I wonder how that worked. Prior to the war, were you renting an apartment? Yes. So did all landlords just kind of, 
give up all the contracts and leases? Like, did they just forgive everybody? Like, you don't, you know, because obviously when you sign a contract, you say, I'm going to live here for a year or however mm-hmm. long, and I'm going to pay monthly rent during that entire year. Did they just say, it's sedobre, don't worry about <laughs> it. You don't have to come back. You don't have to keep paying. We're not going to force you to honor your contract. How did that work for all these people that left? I'm curious. Total curiosity. Okay, so... um when we were renting out an apartment in Obalon district, this is actually when the war started. So we had our contract signed till next December. So right. we just so moved in, you know. And, and you were in Obalon. Yes, like like I was living there for, for one listening, month. That was not a good place to live in the very beginning of this war. Yes, yeah. and I was like pretty new to that district, you know. So, yeah, uh, when the war started, we actually, yeah, and wait, hold on a second. I'm just trying to, when the war started, right, like our landlord, we had like beautiful couple, elderly, elderly, elderly. You you said it right the first time, elderly, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Couple and like super sweet. They they called and chat. They were calling and checking on us. You know, like oh girls, how you doing? Is everything okay? We're like yeah, we are safe and sound. So they were like, please just be safe. And yeah, and after that we left an apartment. So basically we were not paying for our apartment for three months. Um, they let us stay there for free, but we were not staying there actually. We were both in Poland, but I was in Warsaw and my friend, she was in uh, Krakow. So, yeah, we were not paying and lots of people were not paying for their rent during those times. But I believe after May, after May, lots of um, landlords. Lord lands. No, you got it right. (laughs) Landlords. (laughs) yeah they were like okay guys um like you're living here for free but we cannot keep going like that so they they also need to put food on their table yeah Yeah. so yeah so they were starting for money and um, some landlords they were quite nice because they were doing like 50 percent off so people could pay and uh, you know leave but our landlord um she said that we have to pay full, you know, and we were like, okay, that's a little bit too much because that was expensive and we were not having any jobs and staying in Kia was not that relevant, you know, like when you have nothing to hold on to, you know, like I didn't have any relatives there, no job. And yeah, that was a little bit complicated. That's actually was one of the reasons to, you know, e- why I went to Canada, you know, because either I would spend all my saving paying for rent and staying in Kiev and, you know, <coughs> excuse me, bless you, thank you, staying in Kiev, you know, and looking for a job. And uh, that was so pretty damn hard to find a job back then or, you know, go to Canada. So that was like kind of one more of the reasons. Okay. I was just curious about yeah. that rent thing. I was like, that's something I hadn't really thought of before is what the hell happened to everybody's rent contracts when all this happened because so many people left. All right. So 
you are looking for a reason and a means to stay in Kiev and you find it. You're at a party or and you meet somebody in HR and they say, hey, take these courses. We can get you a job and you take that job and now you're... Not job. They said that after that you might have got an internship. And I'm like, okay. Better than nothing. It's definitely better than nothing, you uh. know? Like that, because uh, you had to have like um, you had I had to gain like some kind of score like eighty two percent to get into the list for internship in that company, you know. So yeah, and I don't know. I just had no doubt that I'm gonna get it. But after the end, yeah, and after that, I got the job. So you get the job. Kiev is. Not normal because there's still a war going on, but it's returned to the same day to day on some level that it used to be. And then October 10th comes around. Uh. There hasn't been a missile hit Kiev in five months or so at that point. Um, relatively safe. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward to where we are right now, sitting here, we are in Kiev. And we're running this off of a generator because I have no electricity where we are right now. Uh, a few days ago, we didn't have any water. Um, obviously, Kiev is not normal again. So October 10th, uh, just to give a little background to anyone who's listening, and I've talked about this in other podcast episodes, but October 9th is when General Sarah Vikan takes over the operation for Russia. And he's got a history. He's known from what he did in Aleppo, Syria, uh, what he's done in, um, not Crimea, in uh, Chechnya and other places that his tactic is to go directly after the civilian population. He tries to win wars via attrition. He tries to wear down the, the people of towns or cities or countries. He's a piece of shit, to put it lightly. So he was taking over the southern operations in Ukraine in the war against Ukraine, rather, um, in the beginning, actually, he took it over in June, and that's when Mykolaiv and Odessa and Zaporizhia started taking a lot of civilian casualties because he just started targeting civilians. And then October 9th, uh, Putin decides that he is going to hand the entire campaign over to General Sarovikin, and the very next morning, he launches the largest attack yet on civilians in the country of Ukraine to include Kiev. Um, so you've been through this absurd emotional roller coaster at this point where it was, I love my life in Kiev, everything's wonderful. I don't know if I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm sitting in a bomb shelter texting my mother every night because I don't know if I'll have a chance again to facing your demons a lot of the time alone in Warsaw to. Canada trying to give the whole outside of Ukraine thing a shot, but then getting drawn back in and saying, okay, I'm coming back. And then eventually getting back to Kiev in a sense of somewhat normalcy and going, okay, I made it. Like I went through this absurd up and down and up and down and, and, and chaos and hell, but I'm back. I'm in the city that I love. I'm around the people that I love. I found a job. Things are going good. And then this motherfucker takes over and all of a sudden Kiev is again a dangerous place. I hate to even ask because we're going through an emotional roller coaster just having this conversation and I hate to make you relive it all, but 
what goes through your head on October 10th when you think that you've kind of finally been able to get to a place of emotional stability on some level and then all of a sudden again missiles are going off in the heart of the city not military targets killing civilians places very close to where you live um and here we are again what's going through your head again that's the only thought that i had in my head i woke up and i was like oh again and i brushed my teeth i did my makeup and i went and i went to work and i was like i have my working day till from 10 a.m till 7 p.m I have some projects to close and I have no time for this bullshit. Sorry, but I have to pay taxes. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's the most... <laughs> Apparently, that's, the that's most not the answer no, you it were is, looking that for. Is the most, it is. That is the most Ukrainian response ever. One of, one of my favorite things, and I'm going to butcher this. I know I'll mess it up because <laughs> I won't remember it exactly. But somebody, um, somebody made a comment it was like a meme basically mm. that floated around the internet where it was uh oh i know i'm gonna mess this up but it's basically russia saying uh we're going to attack ukraine and take it over and then it says ukrainian orders a coffee drink russia says okay we're gonna start targeting civilians ukrainian sip which is basically a memes way of saying bring it on bitch um (laughs) which is the ukrainian spirit and uh and after everything you went through no don't say that's not the answer i was looking for because a it's the one i expected um and b it's what else are you gonna do you you sitting and fretting over it's not gonna make anything better um You know, I think by throwing all these uh, missiles and doing all these attacks, they think they're going to make us scared or, you know, begging our government to start negotiation process. No, not at all. We just, we've built better bomb shelters. We are well prepared and... We are really, uh, like, we are staying strong and we are not giving up the ideas and values we are fighting for. And we are drinking coffee and working and going out and smiling and going to the cinema, to the shopping malls, trying to keep everything, you know, like, trying to keep our economy as much as we can, you know, and we are fighting from the different side, right? Just because, you know, we cannot give up. We lost so many beautiful people. We've lost so many brave soldiers who were given their lives without no doubt. And, you know, so many people died. We cannot give up. And if they are thinking that, you know that throwing missiles or nuclear bombs or something gonna make us weaker no we're gonna get even more stronger you know like like i don't know is there any part of you that would consider leaving kiev at this point i'm actually leaving kiev uh i'm not quite sure if it's gonna be this month or next month 
uh, it depends on my job but yeah i'm living in kiev for one week because i'm visiting my father not exactly <laughs> what i meant i didn't <laughs> i wasn't asking if you're just never gonna take a vacation again no uh to be honest and and without making this sound ominous current situation here is possibly more dangerous if not as dangerous as it was in the beginning of the war um there's missiles actively being aimed at kiev and not just dangerous but difficult to live in there's power outages all the time there's occasional times there's no water um baby wipe showers because you can't take showers um it's not an easy life in kiev and uh and so I was asking, is there anything in your in your mind of, all right, I'm just going to go to Canada again for two months or I'm going to leave Kiev or is this like, all right, I already did the go explore thing and now I'm digging into the trenches and I'm staying in Kiev. What's what's your mindset at this point? No. Why would I? I mean, uh, I would definitely love to go on vacation and explore some new cities, new countries or places right. I've already been to, right? But so far i'm not planning to leave the country like move somewhere you know like living somewhere or i'm not considering doing that of course if the situation's gonna be like super bad you know there would be like no electricity no water no heat because winter is you know just knocking the window it's actually over here almost there it's like minus three degrees i was just gonna say typical typical ukrainian she's saying winter's almost here it's below 30 degrees fahrenheit right now winter is here almost (laughs) here it's when it when it's minus 15 or something yeah so maybe maybe Maybe. yes a true ukrainian word (laughs) maybe 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 you have maybe i need if i don't find the place like maybe some of my friends are staying in the house and they have a fireplace you know like uh, then i'm not leaving but uh, if none of my friends has that then yeah sorry i'm joking but yeah like i'm not actually any of her friends who are listening if you have a fireplace (laughs) she's looking for a place to stay this winter when Uh, winter gets here yeah 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 I'm not actually planning to move, but at the same time, if God forbid something, you know, like something bad happens and it's going to be really freezing and cold, um, I definitely going to go and visit my father for a good month or two and I'll stay with him. But at the same time, you know, uh, I'm going to be working and um, so I'm going to be like, almost in ukraine because i'm working i'm getting like salary on my ukrainian card so i'm paying taxes so it's just like physically i'm not here but everything else still is part like, of the yeah, system i'm still gonna be paying for my rent i guess or uh, yeah like you know i'm gonna be the part of my like of the system like 100 percent. but it depends which part of the world it would be if God forbid something happened, but I don't think so. I mean, what, 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 last time I said that phrase, the war started. So. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I knock on the wood, so okay. everything should be fine. Right. Yeah, but I, I don't think that something bad's going to happen. And if something's going to happen, we're going to have no light, no electricity, no water, nothing. 
Um, actually, we are well prepared. So I have some water at home. We like in the office. Luckily, we have beautiful, beautiful owner of the company and beautiful people who are working for that company. You know, because uh, we are well prepared for that blackout. We have water in the office. We have lots of blankets, sleeping places, and it's actually I think it's one of the most mm, comfortable uh, bomb shelter in Ukraine. Well, I wouldn't say in, in all of Ukraine, but in Kiev for sure, yeah. for sure. We have like a PlayStation in there, oh, you know, I'm telling oh you, God. yes, we have like a huge generator. We have water, we have showers, we have like, yeah, twice a week. She pretends that there's a bomb threat so that everyone at work has to stop working and go play PlayStation. <laughs> She's like, I heard a bomb threat. Everybody to the bunker. <laughs> It's playtime. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, we all got notifications on our phone, so I cannot fool everybody with that, unfortunately. Oh, well. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so, and I live just across the street from my work, so it's very easy for me to get into that bomb shelter, you know, mm, and uh, be in a safe place, you know. So basically, we are well prepared for a good two weeks. We can sur survive and leave and have at least at a PlayStation, electricity. Yeah, that's so good. that which means PlayStation too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I absolutely critical I, survival gear I for don't getting know. through. A war. I don't play PlayStation. Yeah. I just know it's there, but I don't know how to play that. That's funny. All right, let's take a quick break. And then, uh, and then we can come back. There are no words that I can find to adequately describe what I encountered when I came to Ukraine. These people are incredible. This cause is the most worthy effort that I've had the privilege of being involved with myself. If it's something that you feel you want to become involved with, either by volunteering or donating, I would ask that you look into Dark Horse Allies. Dark Horse is the organization that I'm involved with over here. It's a nonprofit organization. Members have been operating in Ukraine since the early days of the Russian invasion, comprised of both civilians and military veterans like myself from around the world. Dark Horse is a collective of volunteers on an independent mission to try and preserve innocent human lives. The name Dark Horse is a nod to the unbreakable spirit of the Ukrainian people who entered this battle as underdogs, but have inspired the entire free world through their determination and as we always tell these guys, by surviving with their hearts. If you would like to become involved, please head over to darkhorseallies.org or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at facebook.com slash darkhorseallies or obviously instagram.com slash darkhorseallies. By signing up right now to become an ally for as little as $7 a month, you could become a part of this effort. We would love to have you join us. If you're interested in volunteering, please reach out through the website. We do have opportunities for anybody that wants to become involved on any level. And now we return to the podcast. I have Ukrainian blood that is true. in my veins. That's true. I'll give you that. You bleed blue and yellow. Exactly. <laughs> it took you a second. You're like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we say in the United States, when you're super patriotic, you bleed red, white, and blue. Is what we always say. So that's why oh. I said bleed blue and yellow. Yeah. With stars? Well, yeah. And that's what sucks is now, like, because red, white, and blue, we say all the time. Like, it's a very, <laughs> my English, I'm telling you, it's very bad. It's a very patriotic thing to say is like, go red, white, and blue. We bleed red, white, and blue. We're all for Not red, white, anymore. and blue. And now I'm here and I'm like, no, I still bleed red, white, and blue. But Russia's damn colors have to be red, white, and blue, too. So it's like, son of a bitch. 
And you have to cancel so two no, letters on one from your end, alphabet. On one end, we're bleeding red, white, and blue. And on the other end, we want red, white, and blue to bleed. So, yeah. yeah. What two colors am I canceling? Or two letters am I canceling? Z and W. Wait, what? Like I said that you have to cancel two letters from your alphabet. Z and W. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot we have to... The Cyrillic alphabet is not easy for an American... I'm telling you, it's a, and you would, I'm telling you right now, you would die if you knew the names we had for the letters, because that's how we remember things. So we'd be like, the funny looking W with the infinity symbol on its side, right next to the, and we just have goofy names for each of them, because it's what it looks like to us, because we don't know what it's actually called, so we just have like goofy names for, like, the leaning A, because you have like an A, and then you have one that kind of leans to the side, but still kind of looks like an A, it's the D sound. Oh, so like you start no. dobre starts with yeah, we call that the leaning a. Leaning a. It it's looks like an a, but kind of leaning to the it's side. It's not a at all. Oh, it looks like an a. It has like you know like thingy. Now you're starting to describe it like an American. You know the one with the thingy on the side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then the pi. Do you know what the pi symbol is? Pi. Yeah, it's a mathematical equation. I'm sure uh, that you have a yeah, word yeah, for yeah. it it's here, a, but uh, R in Ukraine. Okay. Well. Yeah, so you have a, a symbol that looks like the pi symbol. So yeah. we call that the pi symbol. There's the sideways infinity symbol. There's the W with a goofy uh, pigtail on the bottom. Um, yeah, we have all kinds of goofy names for them because wow. we don't know what the hell they're called. You but we all know what each other's talking about. Like, I'll be like, you know, the, the pi symbol, and then it's got the W with the pigtail, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we all know what it means. But You're very um, We're figuring it out a little bit at a time. But... I guess eventually I'll know what the actual actual letters are called. But yeah. the Cyrillic alphabet is it's it's a journey. It's yeah. a, and the fun part is so like I'm no stranger to learning foreign languages, but it's always been the Latin alphabet. Well, with the exception of Arabic, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, and but this is the one language where. Like, I'll start losing my mind because I swear that I am saying the exact same thing the exact same way as the Ukrainian, and they have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was said this way. And they'll be like, no, I've never heard of that. And I'm like, oh, so how do you say it? And what they say back to me, I swear to God, is the exact same thing I just <laughs> said, the exact same way I said it. So I say it again. I'm like, no. And they say it. I'm like, we're saying the same thing. I'm like, no. I'm like, oh, so there must be tiny little variations in there that just, they act as if they have no idea what I'm saying. What yeah. was one? So there's a... But th those um, phrases or words that I taught you, I think everybody gets it like straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm getting a little <laughs> better, but no, like for so there's um, hot dog bun. There's a specific bun, Bulka. but there's a specific bun that's called a zvetla. Yes, that I said. See, there's the look right there. <laughs> so for everybody listening, I said zvetla, and she's looking at me like I'm an alien. I bet if I said zvetla, she'd be like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know what that Svetla. is. See, there you go. Same damn thing. You said Svetla. I did. I it's messed that up. Svetla. It's Svetla. It's like light, uh, like white bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bomb. So that's Svetla, not yes. Svetla. No. Damn it. It's actually in Russian, Svetla. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. But who the person who is, that? the person. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently the person, my look like, you the know, my person. face is like, yeah. <laughs> The person, the person who was teaching it to me, it was funny because I kept saying, I was saying Zvetla, mm -hmm. 
Or Zvitla, sorry. Zvitla. Zvitla. Exactly. You just did to me what they did. But you said Zvitla. Exactly. To me, there's no difference. I'm like, Zvitla. And they're like, no, Zvitla. I'm like, it's the same thing. They're like, no, not Zvitla, Zvitla. That's the same damn thing. But it's not because you have to pronounce the s before the v. Apparently. It's like Z and V in English, you know? It's like same, same, but different. It's if like, you say so. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, in my head. You don't know that funny joke? No. No way. Oh, I'm about so to get a good funny joke. So many things okay. to teach you. Oh, my God. Tell me the funny joke. No, it's the actually joke. Yeah, it's a funny meme, you know. Like whenever whenever you are looking for an answer in your head and mm -hmm. you know it's empty as hell. I mean, that sounds like a personal problem, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're looking you're looking for an answer in your head. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not coming to there. you. It's yeah. like empty there and you know like these birds they started singing like you know it's like empty oh no i haven't seen that movie. yeah i'm okay. gonna show you yeah it's a little so, what, so you, if, it's if a you go <laughs> that means that you're trying to think of something you yeah, can't think of it four zero four page not found <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. all right i like it i like it yeah no the language is uh it's a it's a challenging one because like you just demonstrated the tiniest change in sound it's one thing if like if somebody from a foreign country is speaking English in the United States or as we're having a conversation, you might say a word a little wrong or you pronounce something a little off. I still know what you're trying to say. But here, like if I pronounce it off even a tiny bit, they look at me with a blank look on their face like I have no idea what you're trying to say. And then they say it and I'm like, all right, maybe I was a little off, but not that far <laughs> off. You had to know what the hell I was trying to say. No, I think, you know, people are a little bit hard and no, I think that people, they are giving you the chance and the space of improvement, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of room for with me that, to improve know, with that. Look, what did you just say? You know, <laughs> And then you and start feeling not comfortable and you're like, okay, that's about right. Yeah. Here's yeah. another one that's fun for all of us. We all talk about this. When I'm talking about us in this case, I'm talking about uh, my team of volunteers here who are all from America, New Zealand, uh, Britain, English-speaking countries. Um, we, we laugh because Ukrainians, when we say we don't speak the language and we don't understand, they just say it louder. Like suddenly we're going to speak Ukrainian. <laughs> like they'll say a whole sentence to us in Ukrainian. And I'm like, ah, yeah. Which is, I speak shitty Ukrainian, I'm an American. And and they'll just say the exact same thing in Ukrainian, but louder. And we're like, no, I, I legit have no idea what you're saying right now. They just get louder and say it again, and they'll just keep doing it. I have a guy that works at the apartment complex where I live. Oh, my God. We've had so many conversations. And I don't know what one of them was. None of them. Because <laughs> he doesn't speak one single word of English and he speaks Russian, which I speak very little. I don't hardly speak any Russian. And he, every time I pull into the parking garage, like comes up to the car as I'm getting out and just has a whole conversation with me, with me going, I have no idea what you're saying, man. 
don't know. No clue what you're saying. You're still talking. <laughs> and I'll do this. I'll be like, you're, you're still talking, brother. And I have no idea what you're saying. And he just keeps going as if I know every word he's saying. And this has been going on for months. And he hasn't stopped and realized, you know, he has no idea what I'm saying. I guess the reason is that, you know, people are trying to integrate you into Ukrainian society super quick. So uh, that's why they're so you, speaking you, Ukrainian you, you to you. So, so they think that you will get it better and you will nail it. And in a few months, you time, are you, you are optimistic <laughs> because I think he's talking shit about me every day going, I love I this. I can say whatever I want to an American <laughs> and he has no idea what I'm saying. I've called him every mean word in the books and he has no idea. That's where I always go with it in my head. God, my feet are freezing. I told you you could keep your shoes on, for the record. Anyways, <laughs> um, what was it that I wanted to ask? When we were in the break, I thought of something that I wanted to ask. Oh, what is your opinion? And I'm not asking you to, to put on your political hat and give me the politically correct answer. Your opinion as Helion Fire, the civilian in Ukraine. Are you in agreement that the end game should be Ukraine will settle for nothing less than full return of all of its property to include Crimea and the Donbass? Do you believe that in order to end the war, President Zelensky and the people in charge should be willing to go back to where the boundaries were on February 24th and say, you keep Crimea, you keep the Donbass, just stop fighting? Or do you agree with Zelensky when he says, no, at this point, after everything you've done, we're not calling it the end until we have all of it? Which, are you okay with that? Asking me this question sounds like you're kidding to me, but it's all right. <laughs> like, of course, no, Jeremy, no way. <laughs> No way. No. Nothing but full victory. No. We're gonna fight till the end. But no. No way. Reparation first. Giving back the... Not first, but like... Giving back the territory which were assigned to us. I don't know how to say it in proper English. Don't get me wrong. Like, which were... Like, when we declared that we are an uh, independent country in 1991. So, the, the territory that we declared, that's the first thing. So, we return all the territory which was in 1991. First, which includes Luhansk, Donetsk, Crimea, right? We don't need anything else. We don't need like any, like, you know, like some people are laughing about um, that part, like the Russian part that used to be like a part of Ukraine long, long, long time of, uh, long time back. Yeah. You, I, but I think most people yeah, are like, joking no, when they talk yeah, about taking Russian territory. Definitely, yeah. like they are joking, yeah. but some people, like from Russia, they take it really seriously, you know? So I'm just saying, like, we don't need any Russian territory. Like, take it and have it just and go take care. back to your country and exactly. leave Ukraine alone. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Second thing. I want every single um, army guy or politician or whoever is responsible for that terrorism that they are doing in Ukraine, I want to see them in the court in Gaga or in a prison. That's the second one. Um, 
also like reparations that's for sure and i don't know what else like i think you know like territory that's for sure and yeah and uh, rebuilding and uh, like all the buildings that they destroyed uh, houses um, i don't know hospitals everything what they destroyed i think they have to rebuild it you know everything so you're okay with Zelensky insisting on taking back all the territory definitely yeah just yeah. a little bit okay with it not too passionate <laughs> you should see my face when I, I was know, I talking did. about you it. You looked know, like, like you were gonna bite my head <sighs> off. You're like, this sounds like a joke. Of course, <laughs> I'm not settling for anything less. But it's important to ask that question because there are a lot of people in my home country and in Europe and different places in the West um, who, if you haven't been here, if you don't know anyone from Ukraine and you haven't been here, you you don't really know. You can look at all different news outlets, but half of them are Russian propaganda, half of them are telling the truth, and if you haven't been here, you don't know which is which. Um, who say, you know, there's a number of people who say, I don't know, is it just the Ukrainian government that is insisting on getting Crimea back and in and, and the Donbass region? Uh, should they be more willing to negotiate for the sake of their people? How do the people really feel? And so it's important to ask, because as you said, it sounds like you're asking me a joke. I already knew the answer because I've been here long enough that I know yeah. enough Ukrainians that I know where they stand. But it's important for people to hear. Nobody should listen to my opinion on this. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Like I can I can go back to the United States and have done so and speak at events and and tell people things. But no one should listen to me. I'm, I'm not Ukrainian. I'm getting like halfway there at this point, but I'm not Ukrainian. I didn't go through this in the way that the Ukrainians went through this. They need to hear it from Ukrainians. And that's why I wanted to ask the question, because like I said, I already knew the answer. Um, no one in the world, including me, I still am surprised every morning I wake up and encounter it. Just nobody gets like this is an incredibly unified effort over here. This is not a government trying to do one thing while the people are going, just make it end. No, like one of the reasons that I recommended to you and I will recommend to literally anybody listening to this, anyone on the face of the planet. Go watch Winter on Fire. If you want to understand why the war is going the way it is right now, if you want to understand the Ukrainian people, go watch Winter on Fire. When you realize, like, this wasn't just, we held some signs and went down to Maidan Square and said, no, we don't like the president's decision, change it. People were killed. People were brutally beaten and the whole corrupt government and the, the particular branch of the army, which doesn't exist anymore, by the way, um, that, that that particular government was utilizing to beat and kill these protesters, all thought that, okay, we do this one day and that'll be it. They'll all clear out and made up. And then there was twice as many people in the square the next day. So they beat and killed a bunch of them. Then there was five times as many people. That's the Ukrainian way is, oh, oh, you, you think you can hold us down? You think you can scare us? That's cute. Hold my beer. That's what we say in the United States when you're about to do something crazy. Hold my beer. Um, <laughs> you were and yeah, so that's a good move. I would, I would highly recommend people watch that documentary because it will make you understand a lot more about the Ukrainian response and the response I just got asking you 
how you feel about Zelensky saying, no, this war keeps going until we have all of our territory back is that they don't realize like the people that took Maidan in 2014 and effectively changed their government are now the people running this country. That is that same group that is fighting against Russia right now. Mm-hmm. And that is not a group to be fucked with. Um, I'll tell you, Putin, if he'd have watched like he should have watched that documentary. I think if he had watched that documentary, he'd be like, yeah, there's no point. We can't go in there. We're not going to win this war. Um, yeah, I say that tongue in cheek, of course, because he's not a logical human being. But no, anybody that watches that and then knows that those people that took Maidan and changed everything in 2014 are the same people now that are fighting for Ukraine. If they watch that, they're going to go, oh, yeah, Russia's fucked. No, there's no way that Ukraine's settling for any shorter victory. So, Yeah, you know, never settle for less. So I think that's what we all doing. I actually, it's, you know, it's like my motto, like never settle for less. I don't know why I said that, but um, no, people, people not ready. And, you know, we better stay without electricity, water and heat, but without Russia as well, you know. It's so funny you put it that way. I was in Kherson last week and I was talking to somebody. It was two people and, uh, and I was actually doing a podcast. And I was like, we currently have no water, no electricity. And in Kherson, shops aren't even open yet. Most shops aren't open. And this has been this way for like over two weeks. You haven't been able to shower. You haven't been able to do any of the normal things that you do. You're still flushing your toilet with a big bucket of water like, and no heat. And you both won't stop smiling. Like you're happy as shit. Like you're the happiest people I've ever seen on the planet right now. Explain that. And that was the exact response. They go, we have no water, no electricity, no heat, and no fucking Russians. With a big smile (laughs) on their face. And I was like, there you have it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's true though. But when when they say and when you say no Russia, no Russians... What that really means is freedom. Exactly. You have freedom. And it's something that a lot of us in the West, um, in the United States and Europe and everywhere else in the free world, take for granted because most of us were given it. We were born into a place where it was just free. Um, And it's an inspiring thing to see people that are not taking it for granted and going, yeah, no, like... Everybody in the, not everybody, but a lot of people in the United States will wear t-shirts and have hats that say, give me liberty or give me death. But that's literally the way you guys are living in Ukraine. It's not a t-shirt for you. It's like, no, no, I I will either be free or dead. There's no other option. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, we definitely, we definitely don't want that neighbor to be, you know, to be our neighbor, but you know, like the the territory, them. Um, how do you say that? Like the location of our our country, we didn't choose it, right? And we have such a nasty neighbor, and I hope you know. That's funny thing that you didn't ask me about. Um, like, oh, what's your opinion about Russians? Like, do you like them? Do you hate them? This and that. You know, I thought that one's gonna be coming. And uh, yeah, so basically you didn't answer ask the it. question that I'm I didn't gonna ask. 
yeah so i don't know how like i think most of the people they do really hate them but how i feel most ukrainian people hate russians is what you're saying yeah but how i feel about it you know i just like to me that part of the world is like a blank space I don't know how to explain it. You know, when the war started, I really, like, my heart was full of hate. And I really hated them. And I wished them all bad things that you could imagine. But then I realized that, no, like, we are here. And we are, like, each Ukrainian who is fighting for freedom, for values, for everything, for lives. Like, we are, like, you know, we are, like, a small lighter. And that light... Like, we are small light, and that light should be full of love, patience, and um, values. You know, we shouldn't forget about our values, who we are. We are not, we are not bad people who are, like, you know, one, who wants to kill others, like our neighbors or something. No, we are just peaceful human beings who are taking care about each other, you know, loving people who are living their lives, uh, moving towards something beautiful. Jesus Christ, what the hell is happening? Sorry. No, you're like fine. Do we need to take a moving, break? No, like moving towards something, you know, like beautiful, like beautiful future. We want our kids to live in a better country. So we are trying our best to build it, you know, like putting some kind of efforts, right? Like working, paying taxes, like creating new businesses, new schools, like entertaining ourselves. So, yeah. That's who we are, and we are not those people who are full of hatred and envy, and you know, wants to take someone. You know, you know, like if we see that someone's living better, we are like, "Oh, you live better than me!" Like, what the hell? I want what you got, and just coming and taking. You know, we were just. So I thought you're saying you're not those people. Yeah. So basically, what I thought that yeah, like I'm. And a lot of my friends actually feel in the same way, you know, like we are not hating them or wishing them death or something, you know, like at the beginning I did. But then I realized that we are those, you know, like we are those light in this black war and black days. So if we fill our hearts with um, love and uh, if we still keep to our values you know and we understand what is important and what is not that's probably the way when we can win this war because if we're gonna be you know full of shit sorry for saying that i've said far worse in this episode you're fine yeah it's not gonna happen so yeah like towards russian i feel nothing I don't know, like, I'm just, like, numb, you know, like, not numb, but I have no feelings, I have no hatred, sometimes even I feel sorry for them, you know, being that stupid, and, you know, like, being in, I don't know, like, being in that situation, right, I feel sorry, but at the same time, uh, you know, like, I feel sorry for one second, and then it's like, what is this? Blank, you know, like, nothing, so, yeah, and I think that a lot of people are feeling that way. It's really interesting that you say that. I have a very unpopular opinion. 
amongst Tell me. people who are extremely intelligent when it comes to foreign affairs and foreign conflicts. So I'm not saying that I'm right yet, but I will certainly love saying I told you so if I turn out <laughs> to be right. But my unpopular opinion is one that changed. In the beginning of this war, when I first came over here, I felt that this war was going to end when the powerful oligarchs in Russia, the people with all the money, got tired of, of not being able to access their funds, not being able to travel, and, and they would take the reins and take over and end this war. And that still may be the way it ends. But what I have seen, if there is any group of people on the face of the planet that has every right to hate and mistreat a group of people, it is Ukrainians. They have raped, tortured, done terrible things to your people. And yet you have a response like that. And I see Russian soldiers take Ukrainian prisoners, soldiers, and torture them and not feed them. And put them through hell. And yet the guys I work with, the Ukrainian soldiers, even knowing all of that, when they take a Russian prisoner, they give him a cigarette, they give him a sandwich, they give him water, they give him a blanket, they treat him like a human being and they take care of him. Blows my mind. Yeah. The strength, like I talk about the strength of the Ukrainian people oftentimes when it comes to like fortitude and determination, but the strength of morals of going no the reason we're better than that is because we aren't those people and we refuse to let them bring us down to their level we will not be those people that mistreat another person one of the most impressive things i've ever encountered in my entire life it is unbelievable so i am of the strong opinion that i think that putin and his attempt to destroy ukraine is going to destroy his government. I think that you guys, in the way you conduct yourselves, the way you're inspiring the whole world, your military, your people, it's 2022. He might own the Russian state media, but he doesn't own social media, and he doesn't. there's no way for him to keep all of his people in the dark. They can see what's happening. And I think sooner or later... Some of the people in Russia, in my opinion, are probably not terrible people that don't want this war, never wanted this war, but they can't speak up or else they're going to get put away. Yeah. I do agree with Ukrainians at this point that a lot of people in Russia, even the civilians, are fucked up in the head. But I think there's some good people. And I think a lot of the people who have been blindly following what they've been told their whole life are going to start opening their eyes and going... I don't know, because our government's being assholes. Our government doesn't care about their own soldiers. Our government doesn't care about us. And the Ukrainians are taking care of not only each other, but they're being kind to the Russian soldiers. I have a cousin who got taken captured, and when he got back after a trade, he told me that they took better care of him than the Russian military did. Because those stories are starting to come out all the time, nonstop, where Russian soldiers are giving interviews going, I wish I got captured three months ago. The Ukrainians treat me way better than the Russian military did, and I'm an enemy. I think he may be triggering what no one in this world, including myself, ever thought would be possible, 
a Russian revolution. I could very well be wrong. Everyone in the world probably thinks I am, but I don't know. It's been such an inspiration watching Ukrainian people, like you just said, not just stand up for their country, but refuse to let it turn them bitter um, and, and not let it change who they are as in their character. Um, I mean, I, I don't understand how that could not be inspirational to, to Russian people who might start going, you know what? Fuck you, Putin. I'm hearing nothing but good things from Ukraine and nothing but shit things from my own country. We're done with it. So I don't know. I think it's a potential. I'm not going to say it's the way the war ends, but I do think that there is potential for this actually overthrowing the Soviet government in Russia and turning Russia into some form of democracy. I won't say it's the highest of likelihoods, but I think that it's a possibility. And that's not something I would have ever said seven months ago. And the reason I've changed my tune is just watching the way you guys react. Most people, when you go through something like this, the unification of a country, it's very impressive what's happened here, but that's that's kind of typical. We talk in the United States all the time about September 12th, 2001, because mm. everybody knows about yeah. September 11th when they attacked the towers. We always talk about September 12th, the day that the country was so unified. It didn't matter what political party you were, what color you were, what ethnicity you were. Everybody was family because we all just went through something together, right? So that's common. But for it to go on this long and people not get bitter, for it to go on this long and your soldiers, I'm telling you, it blows my mind because they are going through hell. They're going through a war that is harder, more painful, has more losses, more more deaths than any war I've been a part of in the United, or that the United States has been a part of in the last 80 years. And they're still treating the Russian soldiers that they take like human beings. They're still being good to people. They're still they're still not letting it change their character. That's got to inspire. Uh, I know it inspires a lot of people in the West. It inspires me. But I, I just th I feel like the more those stories get out and the more those stories get back, the more that wives in Russia are talking to their husbands on the lines and hearing these things. I don't know. Sooner or later, I, I, I think that I'm not saying it'll happen soon but i think he might have just started the wheels turning on something that down the road will turn into the end of the soviet system in russia yeah i still don't believe in good russians or bad <laughs> russians i don't yeah. divide them and put them into this you know like groups just i don't know it just doesn't exist to me that part you know yeah, like, because I remember you said something about good Russians or something, you know, and I was like, it triggered me a little bit. And <laughs> it, I'm like, uh, I know, Ukrainians yeah, 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 get real yeah. mad I'm when I say that. I'm a patient and exception, like, accepting everything, you know, and trying to, to think through, like, to think about everything, you know, like, with a heart full of love. But this is something, you know, that I cannot agree with you like yeah definitely there are good russians and bad russians and this and that but to me it's like it doesn't exist that part of the world it just doesn't exist to me i have some um, i actually have relatives there like very close ones like my mom's sister and brother like my uncle and auntie mm -hmm. they live there and i have like my cousins there and um and Has there been any communication? No. Nothing. 
I'm not talking to them. I mean, like, between your mother and your sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, they are talking. God, I'd love to have a transcript of those conversations. They are not talking. Like, don't get me wrong. They are talking. They are talking about weather. They are talking like, oh, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How is the weather? It's good. How is the weather in Ukraine? It's good. Okay, okay. Are you fine? Yes. Are you fine? Yes. Okay, goodbye. Bye. I can't. Just checking on each other and that's it. They are not talking about war. If my brother lived in a country that the country I lived in was attacking and murdering people in. I'm not trying to shit on your aunt, but oh my God, there is no way I could call and ask him how the fucking weather is. No, my mom still is checking. No, I understand your mom checking. I'm talking about your aunt. Like your mom's not living in a country that's attacking her country. Yeah. I just, not my place. I don't need to comment on it, but that blows my mind to, if that was my brother and I knew the country I was living in was was doing that to his country that he was living in, and I would assume that she's from Ukraine, right? Of course, they both are Ukrainians. I don't know. I don't understand that one. I'm just going to walk away from that conversation. I don't even know where to begin commenting on that. But that, I think, is... I think that is something for everybody to keep in mind because it's something I thought about a lot when this war first kicked off is there is a lot of intertwined families between Ukraine and Russia. And um, A, that's an impossibly difficult situation. And B, kind of goes back to what I was talking about. Russia, you know, Putin and his cronies control the media, you know, control their media there, but they can't stop people from hearing what's truly happening in Ukraine because there's a lot of intertwined families. There's a lot of people that have friends in both countries. And then there's, of course, social media and everywhere else that the people in Russia can hear the true things coming out of Ukraine. Usually Uh, that's the thing. Usually they are not talking about all these things, like about the war and stuff. Your mother and her sister maybe not in particular, but I have to imagine there are a lot of, a lot of situations yeah. where somebody with I know a lot of people friends like and family in Russia are talking to them about it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know a lot of families and friends of mine were not talking to their parents because they live in Russia and they believe in all this BS. There's what no point in censoring <laughs> things now. What they're saying on the TV and yeah, and like their kids are living here in Ukraine and they're saying like, mom, and explaining like, mom, listen to me, what's going on? I'm like living here, I'm here, but still no. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's really complicated, but at the same time, I just, I just hope It's also really best. simple. At the it's same time, sim- it is you know, really usually simple. Usually, simple things are the most complicated things to get. You know, I mean, there's nothing too complicated in my mind about one country minding its own business and not trying to do anything to the other country, and then that country crossing into their borders and not just attacking them and trying to take their land, but killing innocent, defenseless civilians on purpose. Yeah, that's pretty simple to me. Fuck you. No, that's, that's wait. Not, not fuck you. I'm talking fuck I, you no, to no, Russia. I, I know. Like it's I, that simple. It's <laughs> no, that simple for me. But I'm going to explain you a little bit different, um, like 
you know, the other day I was thinking about it and I tried to try to put myself in that, like in their shoes, so to say, right? Like, so let's imagine, right? Everything what's going on right now in Ukraine and what they are saying on news is not true. On and the Russian news? No, in Ukrainian news. Oh. Let's assume, right? Oh, okay. We're playing Let's, the hypo- yeah, hypothetical yes, game. Got it. Exactly. So, I, like, I, that's what I said, like, from okay. the beginning, that I wanted to put myself in their shoes, right? Like, to feel what they feel. They believe everything they're seeing so, from the West is Yeah, a lie. so basically, everything what is said on use to us, we believe in it, right? And, and what is said to news to them, they believe in that as well. But that's a different story. Like we we got got the truth and they got the bullshit, right? But I just put it myself in those shoes and I was thinking like, okay, everything what like the news they are feeding us, right? Like what if it's not true and the Russian side is true, you know? Like I don't don't get I me wrong. I know you don't actually feel that way. You're just trying don't to get think me through wrong. It. Yeah, yes. I was just trying to think about it and I would be like super. I would be like shocked and I would be like, what the heck? Like, no way, like, no way, like, I wouldn't believe it, right? That That is very hard to believe at when, like, when you're constantly listening to Ukraine, like, let's say, Russian news, and you believe in it, and then it turns out that it's not true, right? Yeah. And, and I, then... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. And then I was just thinking... Fuck, I forgot. I'm sorry. <gasps> I had like a good, you know, like I had like a good conclusion at the end. You're, you, know? you were saying you were trying to imagine if you were to find out that Ukraine news yeah. was false and Russian news was the actual truth, how that would be so incredibly difficult to wrap your brain around and understand yeah. and accept. I'm trying to trigger your memory. It's not I working, I know, it? it's no, it's like okay. 404 page <laughs> not found. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, I was just, you know, I was just trying to pull myself the other day in their shoes, you know, and yeah, I wouldn't believe it. And imagine, oh, now I remember. And imagine, right? Like we are getting those news for, let's say, like almost one year, right? Like they are giving us all the news, which like what's going on in Ukraine and like the truthful, the normal news, right? And... So to say we've been fed up with those news just for one year. Imagine those people. They were fed up with the fake news for a good nine years almost. So if they are putting like nine years the information into your head, how are you going to think about it? Here's my only problem with that. I hear what you're saying and I love the the fact that you're thinking this through from both Mm -hmm. sides. That's big of you. There's evidence. And that's why I said in 2022, yeah. you can't you can't play the game like you used to. Back in the day, governments could lie to their people easily because they had no way of finding out whether or not it was true. It's 2022 now. You, you can spend 37 seconds on the internet and see a ton of evidence for everything that the West and Ukraine is saying is happening here. And you will not find any evidence of bio labs which is what he first claimed he was coming in because there was bio there's been no evidence of that 
denazifying Ukraine because everybody in Ukraine is a Nazi. No evidence of that because it's laughably ridiculous. Mm-hmm. If anyone's regime resembles the Nazi regime right now, that would be Putin's regime. Um, and one of my all-time favorites that Ukraine persecutes everybody in Ukraine that speaks Russian. Like 50% of this fucking country speaks Russian. President Zelensky's first language was Russian. Russian. Yes. Um, And so, so if we're going to play the game of, well, what if all of Ukraine's stories were lies? If you want to play it for like the first two weeks of the war, sure. But now, sorry, like I can't, there's, there's one thousand videos online of Russian soldiers calling their wives and people back in Russia going, no, everything we were told is a lie. This is bullshit. Like Ukraine is actually, we're like killing innocent people. It's terrible. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. They're leaving, they're fleeing, they're going places. They're giving stories to reporters. There's video footage and photo footage for days and days and days and days of days of playgrounds blown up, hospitals blown up, maternity wards blown up, residences blown up. There's tons of evidence that everything being reported on this side is correct. Mm -hmm. Zero evidence whatsoever that has ever come out for any of the claims that the Russians are making about why they're here. So that's why I say for the first two weeks, I might give them that excuse, but now no, absolutely not. There's no way that I don't care if you've been seeing that news your entire life. At this point, you have seen the evidence, you know, So either you're opposed to it, but you're staying silent because in Russia, you might get killed if you speak up or you don't care and you're okay with it going on. In which case, fuck you. You're a piece of shit human being. Okay. That's a good point. And I totally agree with you, but I got a different question. Like I got another question. Mm -hmm. Okay. So imagine I'm not trying to offend anyone, but what's the level of intelligence of people who are still in washing machines, women's panties, um, toilets, sinks, and all different funny stuff you could ever imagine and bringing it home to their wives as a trophy. What kind of... Do you know what, do you understand where I, where I'm heading? Imagine like, you know, I'm not saying that those people are stupid or something, but like, what's the level of intelligence of those? Like, we are not talking about St. Petersburg or Moscow, right? Like, or big cities. We are talking because Russia is not only Moscow or St. Petersburg. It's like a huge country with a lot of different districts, like far north far north you know like siberia like like different one you know and it's upsetting how people live there you know like i was just reading some news and like (laughs) that's a funny one i like 21st fucking century you know but people in the villages people are dying because they are falling down in a toilet hole which is made outside you know and they're (laughs) but they're (laughs) drinking 
you know like imagine the level like imagine the level of life there imagine like i'm not talking about the intelligence like the, the education like the only thing they have is just television and news that's it that's something that's the only entertainment they have or 50 grams of right. vodka you know and that's and that is a key in history it's been repeated over and over again that is a key to an authoritarian government like the soviet system that, that russia employs is that you have to keep the masses ignorant you have to keep them poor thinking that they're happy exactly. keep them from succeeding because if they start to grow knowledge they'll get rid of you because they know you're full of shit mm -hmm. so you have to keep i mean when you think about it in a place like ukraine the united states canada I could go on and on free countries democracies the power is spread all over. So the government has to keep the people happy on some level or else they're going to not be the person in that seat anymore. In Russia, where they don't have to do that, it doesn't matter what the hell the people want. They have all the power. That's a very small group of people. Mm -hmm. Russia is a massive country. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people. And there's like 100 of them that have power. Yeah. The only reason they have power is because the millions and millions and millions haven't figured out that they don't actually have power. Mm. The only way you have power is by convincing them that you have power because you don't. You're only 100 people against millions and millions of people. If they want to knock you out and take you out, you're done. You're gone. So you have to convince them and control their brains, control their minds, control their environment, and keeping them poor and reliant on you Yep. is is the key to do that but that's why i say awfully tough to do that in 2022 it's way easier to do back in the day when they couldn't find anything out and that's what you just led to is you have these people who are fighting this war are the people that are in i don't feel this way about any human life but in the eyes of russians are throwaways their life has low value they don't care nobody will miss them if they die these people from these little villages or released prisoners, which is another one of their favorite ways of getting new soldiers. And those people are starting to call home and say, whoa, this is all bullshit. Like they're treating us like shit or they're getting captured by the Ukrainians and the Ukrainian soldiers letting him use his personal cell phone to call his mother to let her know he's alive. Yeah. And they're going, these Ukrainians are actually treating us really, really well. They're incredible. And we're starting to find out like a lot of what Russia was saying is lies is actually true. And we're actually targeting civilians and it's terrible. And I don't want to be part of this. I mean, that's not just like one or two stories. That's thousands upon thousands now, like tons of people talking back to Russia. And, um, and that's like, I just said, the key to an authoritarian government keeping power is keeping all the people ignorant. And in 2022, and the way this war is going, they're not going to stay ignorant. Sooner or later, they're going to start finding out the truth. You can't not. The evidence is out there. And when your own people, your own husband, your own family is telling you what's really happening on the front, sooner or later, that information spreads, and we'll see where it goes. But I think that he started the wheels turning on possibly ending the Soviet empire. Well, it's not really an empire anymore. It's what he dreams would be an empire, but the Soviet uh, governing style that's going on in Russia. Who knows? We'll see. I could be wrong. I just lost the belief in those people, you know, like 
you know at the beginning when the war started we were all like posting on social media different posts like like please wake up go and do like a different um, how do you call it like to go like maidan like with the you know like stand for your values like please stop the war you know like say something speak up please don't be silent don't be ignorant like please help us you know we still had that faith that those people can change yeah. something they can speak up they can do something but now no i unfortunately i don't believe in that revolution or something you know i believe in that revolution only when all these poor people will be more poor and they will have nothing to eat you know that might be the trigger that they will start speak up and do something Otherwise, I don't believe in that. Yeah, well, they are starting to, and that's a sad reality, though, because that comes from a selfish place, a lot yeah. of benevolent place. We saw it when he when he um, started the mobilization, when he began drafting people. Then all of a sudden, everybody in Russia protested. You're like, oh, where was your problem when the war started and they were killing innocent civilians? You didn't protest that. You're only protesting the fact that you have to go fight now. Yeah. Um, so we saw it then. Now, to be fair and just truthful because i agree with everything you're saying but just to make sure that nobody makes a comment like actually um there were some protests prior to the mobilization in saint petersburg and other places rather large ones yeah um and there were a lot of people that left russia and became very vocal um talking to news outlets about how embarrassed they were to be russian they're completely against this they think it's terrible um obviously not enough people to affect a change but that's when I make the comment that there are good people that just happen to have been born in Russia. That's what I'm talking about. There are some people um, that I that I believe are completely against the war, and if there was anything more they could do to stop it, they would. Um, but people don't have any power in Russia, and they're not Ukrainian, so they don't understand that you can just all band together and take the power. Um, but hopefully one day they do. That's what I'm hoping is that at some point there's enough of those good people that they convince everyone else, hey, we don't have to live like this. We don't got to deal with this, this shitty system of governing. Take it back, but we'll see. I don't know, Jeremy. Currently what we are doing here in Ukraine, we are preparing us, ourselves to a massive attack from Russia where they are planning to throw around 100 missiles all over the city and all over the Ukraine. More they than might one fire 100. We'll shoot down 90 of them. <laughs> oh, definitely. I believe in our, you know, guys who are working. But yeah, so basically we have other things, you know, to take care of. Oh, so yeah, yeah oh. I hope those people, they... They will, I don't know, they will take care of themselves. Oh, I wasn't and asking you to worry about <laughs> Russia. No. no, I got a question, actually. Yeah. I think that's a good one. If I may ask you a question. Yeah, of course. So, this is gonna be when good. we win and when the war is over, mm -hmm. your first thing you're going to do, how you're going to celebrate it. Oh, we're going to Crimea. We're, we're going to party in Crimea. Oh, you still remember yeah. about it. Oh, absolutely. Crimea, without question. That's going to be a huge party. Yeah. The entire I hope there's the enough world. room in Crimea because it's going to be like all of Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. 
So your first thing you're going to do, you're going to I mean, that's like go to Crimea and, and celebrate. But then there's a whole list. I, as I travel the country, I go through towns or I go past something. Where I'm like, God, I wish I had time to check that out. I like make a little list. So I've got like this whole list of things I got to do, places I got to go, things I got to see all over Ukraine. Because um, it's an amazing country and I see all kinds of really cool stuff. But the kind of work I'm doing right now is not where I can actually stop and enjoy those things. So yeah, lots of things that I have on a list of, Oh man, I got to check this out. Oh man, I got to see that. Uh, the bear sanctuary outside of Lviv is real high on that list. I'm obsessed with bears. It's a weird obsession. I know, but I, I love bears and I've heard that's a really good bear, uh, refuge outside of Lviv and, mm-hmm. and uh, the Carpathians. Have you ever been to Carpathian mountains? Yeah. I trained a unit down in the Carpathians. So that was great, but it was again, work. Um, so, uh, so I was there and it was wonderful and I loved waking up in the morning there and drinking coffee and looking out over the mountains, but I'm looking forward to like just leisure, nothing, no responsibilities, just going and exploring the Carpathians. Um, cause actually hiking, um, hiking through Romania has been on my list for a long time, long before this war. Like I always wanted mm-hmm. to hike the mountain range down through Ma- Romania. So, um, might as well start at Ukraine and then hike down through. So. Okay, uh, ski or snowboarding? Man, I'm neither, and I know that's... I know, I know. Give me that look. Everybody gives me that look. I grew up as a skateboard kid, right? So I was like that kid with blue hair and skateboard. Oh, yeah. No way. Blue hair. Yeah, I was a skateboard. I was a little punk rock kid, played in a ska band. Oh, yeah. And uh, so when you skateboard, you put all of your weight on the rear of the skateboard. I shouldn't say all of your weight, but that's where you focus your weight. Um, and on snowboards, it's exact opposite. You have to put it on the front. And so mm-hmm. every time I tried to snowboard, I would have all my weight on the back and I just flip straight up and crack my head <laughs> off the ground. And after a few times, I was like, I'm going to stick with skateboards. It's probably one of my, I'm not going to call it a regret because that would be a silly regret, but it's one thing that I do really wish that I had got into. And at some point I'll take it up. I got a buddy who's just like his brain explodes when I tell him that I don't do either one. He's like, what? Because he's real big on skiing. So he keeps saying he's going to get me out there and teach me how to ski. But I think I'd probably pick it up fairly quickly. I played a lot of sports. I'm a pretty athletic guy, but just never really got into skiing and snowboarding. I don't know. I know. Which is weird because I love snow and I love mountains. So you would think that that would yeah, be the thing. Yeah, but that's the thing. You, I know that you've been yeah. doing hockey for quite a yeah, long time. Yeah, playing hockey, big so, on snow, big on mountains, love all of that, and just have never put it all together, I guess. Yeah, so yeah. that what I wanted to say that you are, you, you are used to snow, right? Like you got mm-hmm. used yeah, to snow, snow. So basically, yeah, like ski sounds like a good plan this winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I was really excited about the snow in Kiev, and I think I was the only one in the whole city because everyone's like, what? I don't want snow. I'm like, I'm excited. I've been like, since I arrived here, I've been like, oh, I can't wait to winter. I want to see what the snow's like in Kiev. We actually have like a um, ski, um, like here in the city center. I saw it. You, you know, I right? drove like by we call it the other the day. Yard. I drove yes, by like, the other day with my team and we were all like, wait, is that a ski slope in yes, the middle of the city? In the city center uh, almost. Uh, uh, and it looked like it was kind of like baby, you know, like bunny slopes. So maybe I could even handle it. Yeah, it's uh, like, it's super easy one. Like they no, have like do- a My first time, one. I'm just going to go straight to the Black Diamond. <laughs> Fuck me up. Let's break something. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, yeah. I will eventually get on skis. So we figure yeah. out like the plans for this winter. We're gonna go ski to the Carpathian Mountains. Maybe you're gonna sadly, do a vlog for your sadly YouTube. Sadly, this winter I think I'm probably still gonna be uh, doing, doing. Come on, work. like still for four days. Let's still say. gonna be working. Three, four days. Still gonna be working. I mean, we unless Russia surrenders, we'll see. What is the weekend? What is that? Like what Saturday, Sunday, to, Friday. Are there supposed to be days that I'm not doing work? Am I doing this wrong? Yes. Um, no, not You're right now. You're in Ukraine. Excuse me. Yeah, we have there, weekends Well, here. there's a reason I'm in Ukraine. <laughs> and well, I'm still fighting for that reason. Once this war is over, then yeah, I'm going to go do a bunch of vacation. And snowmobiles. I have to teach people. Like, that was I was very surprised a lot of people here aren't into snowmobiles. Because that's, I mean, you got some good snowmobile. You don't even know what one is, do you? Um, like so you that, know what a four-wheeler yeah, is, know, right? But I this one has just a big track on it, and you ride across the snow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Snowmobiles Oh, are sorry, it's sorry, sorry. America, it's America. No, That's no. not an American <laughs> thing. It's <laughs> probably more popular in Europe than in the United States, to be really? honest. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, no, lots of stuff to see that I'm stoked about. What was beeping, by the way? Oh, the cameras. Oh, okay. Um... Like I've already knocked Chernobyl off the list that I never had it on. <laughs> never really wanted to go to Chernobyl, but been there, done that. Um, I mean, I didn't like walk into the radiation. I know, Why does this look but I, I'm right trying now? to remember if you told me about going to Chernobyl or not. I don't know, but at one point we were walking. I was walking up in the woods and all of a sudden... Uh, one of the commanders grabbed my arm. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, what? And he like points at this little red piece of tape on a bush. He's like, that's the line. You can't cross. That's where the radiation. I was like, you could have told me we were that close to the damn ground zero for this shit. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe at some point I'm going to have a big green lump on the side of my neck or something. No, um, you're going to be fine. Yeah. No. Uh, Carpathians. Um Crimea. I'm not really a live at the beach kind of guy, but I like, you know, visiting. So well, for celebration. So That's I what I'm saying. It's a, yeah. It's a good yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll go there for a little bit. Um, I think everybody in Europe is in love with Odessa. I'm sorry to anyone watching from Odessa, but I wasn't that impressed. It's okay. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe after the war, I'll be more impressed, but you know, uh, it was okay. It was funny. You said that you were in love with Ukraine, like you fall in love with Ukraine when you mm. came here, and um, you came in the really tough times. You know, I believe in tough times you really understand the um, the core of the like, like you understand the people. The it shows what people's is inside, true character. Yeah, yeah, true character of the people that. Yeah, but at the same time, you know. Like it's very hard times, and I don't accept that. Um, like you've met, of course, you've met a little bit angry and tired and exhausted people who are like, yeah, they are still fighting, but at the same time, you know, they are angry with this world because they they feel that it's not fair, you know. So, because yeah, they're like positives people walking on the street, and the same they are like grumpy so, people. To be you know, who honest, are like, I don't know that i have met any of those people we talk about it all the time i still don't think i've met a bitter 
rude Ukrainian. It's absurd. I don't think I have. Like we talk yeah, about this in the team. No, in the team we talk about all the time. We're like, dude, like. I can't go 30 minutes in the United States without running into a bitter person somewhere who's bitter about something. We're in the middle of a war where people are getting killed and I can't find a bitter Ukrainian. No, I, I don't know that I have. Like, obviously, depressed, sad, hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, in some of the places we go in the East and, and in the South, they've been through absolute hell. So we, we've encountered people that are, you know, not in a happy mood, very understandably so. But not bitter. It's crazy. I don't know that I've met a bitter Ukrainian. But what I was trying to say that if you could fall in love and got attracted to Ukraine during these tough times. Oh yeah, I can't wait to making see making a decision not, yeah. not like to stay here and settle down here maybe for forever oh man see now you're gonna Imagine try you're trying gonna to get happen. me in trouble no, with, no, no, with, no. with people back in the united states that are no. listening to this no way uh-huh. i have nothing again um <laughs> no no you trying to get me into troubles right but i was just what i was trying to say that um like if you could fall in love with ukraine during these tough times imagine what ukraine's gonna be after oh, can't wait when wow. we win, imagine it's I cannot. Like, I mean, I the first month's just gonna be pure utopia. For it won't matter where you are in Ukraine; it's gonna be an amazing place to be because for a month, everybody's just gonna be riding this euphoric high. But definitely, yeah. like no, I very much look forward to seeing Ukraine not in a war because, as you just said, I'm pretty impressed with Ukraine in a war. So, yeah. Although I'll. I'll real disappointed if like the war goes away and everyone turns into assholes and i'm like wait the only reason you were all cool is because you were getting shot at now that the war's over you're like get out of my country american no no way no really we are like super grateful uh, to all people in america you know because geez you're helping us a lot guys you know like without your support we wouldn't fight it i mean like you're always sending us like some weapons and like support like you were supporting like on a diplomatic levels right like physically like you are coming here volunteering and teaching our soldiers how to fight you are sending us like ammunition like different weapons you know so we can fight that evil you know and that's incredible like thank you for that support that you are given to us because that really you know like that's very important and that what uh, helps us to stay strong to fight back you know and to 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 continue this war and that gives us the reason actually uh, you know like one of the reasons and like that gives us the belief that yes we can do that i mean yeah definitely like our soldiers they're doing a lot of stuff but without the um, without the weapon we wouldn't be that strong you know like well, it's we... not about what you feel here inside sorry for both uh, like for interrupting it's not about like yeah it really matters how strong and bonded we are and that's that's extremely important right but at the same time uh, like when you're facing reality like that you know that that feeling inside 
without weapon is very hard to maintain. It is. Um, What we say all the time, though, is Ukraine is winning this war with their heart and Ukraine would win this war without support. It would just take a lot longer and a lot more people would die. So when we tell people in the United States, we tell people in Europe, like, the support is important to keep it coming. Do not give up on it. Do not, you know, second guess whether or not it's a worthy effort. Make no mistake, Ukraine will fight this war to the end and will win it, period. With or without help from anybody, they're not going to stop. And they are capable. So the Ukrainian military, these guys are unbelievable. So I'm, I'm proud to have worked with, with these guys. But it would have taken a lot longer and a lot more people would have died without the support. Um, That's actually yeah. what I meant. I mean, yeah. but in a little bit different words. Yeah. And I also want to clarify just for legal reasons, um, none of us who are here working with the military do so as representatives <laughs> of the United States. We are no longer in the United States military. We were not sent here by the United States. We came here individually as volunteers on our own. We are not the United States in Ukraine fighting the Russians. Just got to clarify that for anybody who's listening so that we don't start rumors that the United States has sent military guys to Ukraine. Um, We are independent volunteers who came here completely on our own. We're not in the military anymore. Um, In fact, we, we have to jump through a lot of hurdles to be here. You're not even Um, getting paid. Like, no, (laughs) no, we're not. Um, No, we're absolutely not. But I tell people, you were just talking about us coming over here to help. Like, I say this all the time to the guys um, that we work with, the Ukrainian military and stuff. I said, I came here to help for three weeks. I stayed here because we're family now. Like, yeah, I came here to help, but now, I mean, we're family. Like, those are my boys. Those are my brothers. There's no way that I could walk around in the United States just living my life, knowing what's going on here. You kind of talked about it, like watching people, any military veteran who's a combat veteran knows exactly, like if they were listening, they knew the moment you were talking about being in Warsaw and seeing people at the grocery store going about their lives, like unaware, well not unaware, but unaffected by what was happening here. We all knew that moment. We've all been there. We've felt that a million times. Um, there's no way I could just walk around acting like life is normal in the United States while I know these guys who are now my family are over here going through this. Yeah, no, I came here to help, but I stayed because this is family now. And uh, yeah, got to see it through the end. Not to mention partying Crimea. Like who wants to miss that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine but, um, the cure is going to be on the border. Oh, people, lots oh, of yeah, people yeah. going to miss it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. I'm going to be, we've talked about this though, and this is absolutely not that serious and I'm being slightly facetious, but also telling the truth, like we've all talked, my team, like we're going to be a little bit bitter with all the Americans and people that come over here to celebrate at the end who didn't come here when the war was going on. Like, oh, it's free and safe now. We want to go check out this place that's been in the news for the last year and celebrate their freedom with them. We're like, get where were you when we needed oh. you? We've been here putting in all the work to get to this day. No, and no, you're no. just going to buy a plane ticket that you can fly to Kiev now and you're going to celebrate? Get out of here. No. I'm kidding. Come no on over way. and celebrate we with us. Welcoming every single person in this world. 
except for the blank space. <laughs> the blank space. <laughs> we need to make a T-shirt. Yeah. And like, it's going to be a map of Europe and it's going to have each country's name on it. And then the rush outline will just say blank space. That's a good start yeah, up, you know. The, we're going to do the blank space. I mean, it's all you. It's your, yeah. your idea. Yeah. I think we should start something like that. Done. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else that you really, really wanted to say um, about yes. what's going on here or to the people in the West or yes, anyone listening before we wrap this up? I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for everything what you are doing here. Thank you for your support. Thank you for coming here. Thank you for training our people to fight back that evil, you know. And thank you for everything what you are doing for, you know, you know like thanking in you. I'm saying thank you like to you for sure, but also to all people in the world who are supporting and every foreigner, you know, who is donating or coming here or volunteering or like ho- like hosting our people in their homes, you know, like giving them a shelter or giving them a job, like stepping into their shoes and, you know, like trying their best to help so yeah i just you know like i just feel that people like when they got that united you know that's the that's the real thing and that is what really important you know like yeah i just wanted to say thank you and thank you like thanks to every single person in the world who's praying for us helping us supporting supporting our people yeah that's that's very important yeah i've been very impressed we we've we've talked amongst ourselves about um it restored a little faith in humanity i was proud of a lot of people in my country i was proud of a lot of people in europe i was proud of i wa- i didn't realize that there was that many people who would step up and do the right thing and there it has been an unprecedented uh response from around the world so it's proud of those countries and it's certainly worthy worthy effort and worthy cause and uh yeah we'll keep it going so that we can all get to crimea Woo-hoo! all right Well, thanks for agreeing to do this. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on again sometime. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this, please click like, comment below, subscribe. Let us know that we have your support. It means the world to us. And we hope that more people can have their eyes open to what is actually happening in this country by talking to the people who are living through it. Thanks again and have a great day.